Hey guys, Jonah Wright here, host of the Blue Collar Blueprint Podcast. And on today's show, we're going to be sitting down to have a conversation with a guy who has lived out the Blue Collar Blueprint to the fullest degree over the course of his life. You see, he started out with absolutely nothing. No money, no real guidance, no real prospects. But somehow he managed to get himself into the roofing business as a very young man. Now he learned his trade, he worked his tail off, and eventually he started a roofing company of his own. He then took that company from being nothing more than himself in an old truck, literally, that was the whole company, and he turned it into a flourishing business. Now eventually that business ended up producing him great money, which enabled him to leverage his skills and his income into some incredible real estate investments, which have completely revolutionized his financial life. And he did all of this stuff while being a truly remarkable family man. He loves his wife and he treats her with the honor and respect that she deserves as the incredible woman that she is in her own right. And together they raised four boys who were working hard to live up to the example that they set together. Now, I can speak to that personally and directly because I happen to be the oldest of those four boys. Because our guest today is none other than my old man, Earl Wright. Now, we have a great conversation that ranges from a deep dive into the roofing trade. Uh, we talk about work principles, how to get started, what kind of opportunities are out there, how to build a successful roofing business, how to have a great work-life balance, tips on real estate and debt reduction, and just generally stumbling your way to success, and a whole lot more. Guys, I really think this was an incredible interview, and I just I can't wait for you to pick up on some of the great nuggets that pop up throughout this conversation. So without further ado, let's just dive right into it, and let's have a great conversation with my dad, Earl Wright. My name is Jonah Wright, and it's my job to give you the tools that you need in order to build a full and successful life from the ground up and with your own two hands. This is the Blue Collar Blueprint Podcast. Mr. Rash. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Fantastic. Good. So I've been excited to do this podcast with you uh, because you have lived basically what we're trying to teach people how to do on the show. Um, so I know you haven't seen this yet because we're recording this before the podcast comes out, so you haven't had the opportunity to read some of this stuff, but... The show itself is oriented into three like primary categories. So the idea is to learn and then earn and then churn. And so the idea is you learn a trade and then you leverage your skill set into a solid income. And we'll talk about how you did all of this stuff. And then you churn that stuff into butter, right? You make positive cash flow, you make good investments and you move yourself in the direction of financial freedom. And so that's the basic outline of how the blue collar blueprint works. And you are the perfect guest because you know, You've lived that in and every, done that. every area of your life. You have something to say in all three of those areas. And, uh, you know, not to get like too personal and I don't want to toot your hern too much or whatever, but I've had the privilege of watching you do that over the course of my life because you were, what, 20, 20 years old when I was born. This is my dad, by the way. I guess I should mention that. Um, so you're a young guy. Mom's a young lady. You guys get married. I come around shortly thereafter and... Basically, we're all broke, and you're raising a young family and doing what you do. So tell us, tell us a little bit about just a real quick, brief overview about your life and you know, sort of your uh, yeah, path towards where you are sitting here with now, me what today. Point would you like me to start? You, you tell me. You tell me what's relevant. <laughs> uh, so my parents divorced when I was about twelve. Um, should I be looking? 
any particular direction. Okay. Um, parents divorced around 12, mother remarried, uh, moved to Florida at 14. At f up until that point, I, my dad was in construction, worked very, very hard, but he was also an alcoholic. So he was not a real great guy. Um, nice enough person in general, but add alcohol in it, everything got ugly really, really quick. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to observe a, an excellent work ethic. I was able, able to observe the positives in him as well as the negatives and acknowledge them both and make decisions based off of those observations. And I elected to, <clears throat> excuse me, adopt the positives and reject the negatives. What can you give me an example of what you mean? Like what what positives did you adopt and what negatives did you reject? I mean, so my childhood years were during the seventies mostly, and I'm saying twelve and under. Um, my we had a traditional family at that time: mother, father, two kids. Uh, father provided. Mother was the homemaker. And the kids were crazy. <laughs> um, Dad went to work every day. He earned the money. He took care of the, you know, the yard and the the house and the finances. And mom took care of cooking and cleaning and washing the clothes and that kind of stuff. Taking care of babies. Getting us to the doctor's <laughs> appointments or whatever it was we needed. You know, mom mom stuff. Yeah. Um, and I liked that. I I thought that was excellent. Um, Obviously, that was more traditional at the time, but I, it was just, uh, it was, I'm trying to choose the right word, imparted on me that that was the proper way for a family to be, and I happen to agree, and I like it. And <laughs> the rest of human history so like, tends to So, we'll fast forward, <laughs> mom and dad divorced, uh, mom remarried, uh, had a stepfather for about five years, and was able to learn a lot of things from that guy. He was a pretty decent guy. I treated my mom well. Uh, and um, he taught me some things that were valuable that I was able to incorporate into my lifestyle. Uh, probably the most prominent thing I, I recall during the time with him was uh, manners mm. and saying yes, sir, and no, sir, and please. Well, please and thank you was always a thing. Your dad didn't do that? We never said yes, sir. And, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. That was not. To, do you mean like just to them or just in anybody? Life? And he didn't do that to people either. Nope. So he was just this typical blue collar guy. Very much. Drank so. a lot of booze. Worked a really hard. A lot of booze. A lot of foul language. Uh, not not physically very polished. Abusive. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. yeah. Well, that was when you added the alcohol, obviously. Yeah. But, sure. Um, yeah. It was. It was kind of a. a undesirable yeah but and, and <laughs> from what i remember you telling me about that part of your life it was like he made pretty good money he did and then pissed it away yes very much so he and when he ultimately when he passed away at a young age largely due to this alcohol problem and other yeah. things uh not only did he not leave anything for anybody he left dead but debt. yeah right which and that was <laughs> that was actually one of the things that we talked about later as i became an adult uh, we were estranged for quite a while, and then we would come back and reconnect and have conversations. And at, at the end of his life, for about the last, I'd say, three, four, or five years, somewhere in that range, uh, we would talk on the phone once a week for 
half an hour to an hour and uh, got to know each other a lot better during that time. One of the things he said to me during that time, actually much earlier, uh, he said to me was, doesn't matter how much you make, you're going to spend whatever you make. That kind of shocked me Mm -hmm. when I heard that. Uh, I was able to take a look at my own life and see that I was doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. What what age would you say you are at this point? Probably 22, 23. Oh, okay, so you're still young. But you have I kids, was, yeah. you have a wife, you have yeah. a house. <laughs> yeah, had all of that stuff by that time. Uh, that was one thing that my dad did that, that impressed upon me. He bought his first house at 21 years old. And that was a goal of mine. I had to have a house by the time I was 21, and I did. Yeah, can't remember exactly. I think I was 21, 20, 21, somewhere around there when I bought my first house. Um, it can be done. Anybody can do it, particularly with the uh, FHA programs or VA if you qualify for that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of first-time homebuyer programs. Right, uh, right. That's something, obviously, just if you're listening. That's like step number one in wealth building. Don't buy your own house. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't don't buy somebody else's house and for them. Just just to, right, correct. Yeah, which what you mean by that is don't pay rent because yes. when you're paying rent, what you're doing is paying that guy's mortgage, and then if he did it right, a couple bucks on the side for his cash flow. Correct. Which is ultimately what we want to do on behalf of other people, but we don't want to be in that situation as at least as little as possible. That's correct. And you know, I think about Cole, who's my he's not my next youngest brother. He's the third youngest brother. Uh, he was about nine years younger than me, but his first house that he bought, he was, what, 18, 19 years old? He actually participated in a purchase with me when he was 17. Okay. Well, nonetheless, the first house that he ever bought and lived in when he became an adult, which was immediately after he graduated high school, Correct. was a duplex. Correct. Um, meaning he had a three-bedroom, two-bath house on but glued together. He got a BOGO, buy one, get one free. And yeah. so he rented out one side of the duplex. He lived in the other side. The other side completely paid for the whole thing, and then he rented out the other two bedrooms, and so he was making positive cash flow at 18, 19 years old. So that's just a little aside. We'll get to more duplex talk later, but yeah, so that's that's exactly right. So you bought your first house, your dad impressed that upon you, Mm -hmm. and then he told you, you're going to spend everything you got. And yeah. You realized that's what you were doing. That's exactly what I was doing. Yeah, I mean, when, when mom and I got married, we had a car and a truck that were paid for. Uh, I believe even before we got married, I traded in the car that was paid for for a car with payments. Mm-hmm. And then shortly thereafter, the truck for a truck with payments. Right. Uh, and did that for a long time. And... Pretty much as soon as I was done paying for that one, I would trade it off and get another one with bigger payments. Again, kind of the typical yeah. like American yeah. My income would, would adjust and my lifestyle adjusted right along with it. In the early years, I can sort of justify that a little bit because nobody wants to stay at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. I do. Trust me. I totally understand. <laughs> um, so tell me, so you're, you're buying a house, you're 21, 22, you've got a young family, your wife kid, at least one, another mm-hmm. one coming shortly thereafter. Um, tell me about what you're doing. Like, are you making good money at this point? You're 21, 22? No. You're not making good money. <laughs> I okay, mean, I, so was, like I was probably level? doing better than average. Um, when I started roofing as an adult, I was making $8 an hour. This is in the 80s, though. This was in the 80s. So what is yeah. that today? Is that $15, $16, something like that? Well, minimum Roughly. wage today is $15 an hour. So yeah, I would say it's probably comparable. Okay. So 
and you started roofing when? Like what, what age were you when you started working? <laughs> Four, I, well, 14. Okay. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Incidentally. Uh, Sorry about that. So, yeah, well, it is. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> so you start roofing when you're 14 and you basically like bang out the basics, right? I mean, you're doing this, you're going to school though, obviously yes. high school and yeah, things. So you're, high school. Going to, you're going to summer vacation and weekends <laughs> and stuff Excuse type me. situation. Is what you're, again, working? you're working after school or you're yeah, working mostly summer weekends, vacation. vacation, mostly summer vacation, a little so you bit, that. you know, spring break or whatever, right, but right. mostly summers and a couple jobs here and there yeah. working at the grocery store and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, but you basically learn like the basics of construction or roofing generally while you're in high school and then you graduate and went full-time into roofing. Okay. Right away. Yeah. Yep. Because why, why did you pick roofing? Well, it's what I knew. Uh, construction comes very naturally to me. My dad was in construction mm-hmm. and I don't know why I just have a natural aptitude yeah. for building things. Right. I, I totally, <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, this entire podcast comes out of my belief that there are a huge number of people who are just like us because I'm the same way, you know, and society doesn't create an environment that supports people like that because generally speaking, people who are good at building things or working with their hands or just trade workers generally, um, you know, I mean, if we're being honest, your dad that you sort of laid out boozing, spending all of his money. He fit the stereotype. That's the stereotype. And it's a stereotype for a reason. It doesn't mean that everybody's like that. It doesn't mean that you're automatically this or that. Um, But, you know, if you close your eyes and you point at a guy in the trades, it's more likely he's that guy than than what we're doing, you know? And we're trying to change that. Correct. That's that's what this whole thing is about. But um, when... So you're, you, you get into roofing, you, you dive right in, and you're, are you a laborer? Or are you, what are you doing Like when you're first coming into the workforce as full-time? As an adult? Or yeah, yeah, 18 as an adult, when you yeah. So high school. I was roofing uh, full-time. <clears throat> I guess you would call that labor. <laughs> I mean, that's what roofing is. Running a crew? Hard labor. Tearing off? No, I was more on. or less a second, second third guy. Okay. Uh, in in a very very small company, it was a small mom and pop, mom and pop, mom and pop type operation. Yeah. Um, that went sour after after a year. By the way, the full time after high school was with the guy that I had been working with since I was fourteen. Okay, okay I got you. So I did a full year with him. Things got. I, I started to increase in my value as you know with the knowledge that I developed. Uh, full-time during that year as well as the years prior and things got ugly between us the guy was uh, again very stereotypical construction guy Uh, very very verbally abusive (laughs) (laughs) anybody in the trades knows that's not drinking (laughs) smoking (laughs) drinking smoking foul mouth Um, but again very dependable the guy was there every day hard worker and he was making good money he was making really good money he wasn't going anywhere in life, but he was making really good money. Right. So he learned and he earned, but he wasn't doing any churning. He was just... He was burning. Burning, burning, and burning. <laughs> he was earning yeah. and burning really, really quickly. Yeah. There was there was no, no reserve. Yeah. Um, which is, obviously, that's an important thing to have in place. So you guys, in a parting ways... Yes. You... Uh, after almost a full year, and then I went uh, and applied to another company... And was hired immediately, and I started getting paid piecework. 
okay. as opposed to being paid by the hour. Tell me what that means. <clears throat> that means you get paid based on your production. Uh, in roofing, most production is referred to in what's called squares, which is a 100 square foot area. Of shingles, um, let's say, or Shingles is what I was actually doing at that time. That was pretty much the, my wheelhouse was shingles. So you got paid X amount of dollars for every square. $8 a square to install a square of shingles. So if you worked hourly, it didn't matter how many squares you put on. If I worked eight it, hours a day, I was making $64. But if you... But at $8 a square, I could do two square or a square and a half or three square or whatever I was capable of doing and make that much per hour. Right. So for me, it was a significant raise. Sure. So this is um, this is where you start. You you started learned, earning more money. You start getting into the earn. You're leveraging and I started your spending more. <laughs> <laughs> right. It right. was about the time we started getting car payments and truck payments yeah. and all that other yeah, good stuff. Sure. That's As a matter of fact, it was exactly that time when I bought the truck. So let me ask you this: When you um, did you, you didn't go to any kind of trade school? No. You didn't go to college. On the job training. You, you graduated from high school and you went to work. Um, was it hard to get a job? Absolutely not. Do you think today it's any different? Like for trades? Yeah. Like <laughs> if somebody wants begging them, for people to ah, work today. Interesting. And so let me ask you this, because this is kind of a practical question. Because there's a lot of guys who are going to be watching this who are exactly in the situation that you were in. Uh, maybe they have a little experience, or maybe somebody who's brand new, right? They have no construction experience. Doesn't Their matter. dad didn't do it. Whatever. What do you have to do to get a job? Like right now. Like if I like if they pause this video and they want to get a job, and they say, "I'm going to go become a roofer." What do they have to do? Like what ask. Are Okay. <laughs> Show up and ask. So literally like knock on a roofer's door. Pick up a phone. You know, uh, I'm walk looking for a job. Yeah, yeah, walk into an office. That's probably the best way to do it. Should, um, should you be coming in with a fresh neck tattoo? Oh, that's uh, ideal. That's yeah. ideal, yeah. <laughs> no, Clearly impressions, like... you know, people are going to have a first impression of you. The minute they look at you, if you're dirty and heavily tattooed and got a cigarette hanging out of your mouth yeah, and you, know, your ear, you come in talking on the phone, you know, cussing at somebody, they're going to get a very clear impression of who you are. They're right. going to assume that you're a stereotypical yeah. guy and that you have an alcohol problem and that you're not going to be reliable. Right. There's a very good chance you're going to be rejected. Mm -hmm. But if you do what? Like what are things that, you know, let's say you're not running the business. Let's anymore, say I do have a big say... neck tattoo and I come in and I'm clean. And I'm not on the phone when I walk through the door and I make eye contact with the person sit there and they say, hi, can I help you? And you say, yeah, my name is so-and-so. You reach out for a handshake if it's appropriate. And you say, I'm looking for a job. Are you guys hiring? They may say yes. They may say no. Right. If they say yes, the next thing they're going to say is, you know, what kind of job, you are <laughs> what kind of work are you looking for? Yeah, you know, right. what, what, do you have any experience? What, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to be a, do you want to be a driver? Side note, valid driver's license is probably the most <laughs> right. the most valuable thing you can possibly have if you're looking for a job in the construction industry. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just the valid driver's it's license. It's shocking. And again, because of how, much, how, how prevalent alcoholism is and how prevalent drug use and other things are, there are a lot of suspended licenses and just general derelict type people out there. So the fact that you can walk in with a valid driver's license and insurance, especially if you have your own truck, Oh man, you're like way ahead of the game. Well, is... I'm also going to put a caveat on there. You can't have two or three DUIs on that valid driver's license. Right, right. Yeah, that would be that would be good. So you know, one thing that I think about, and I think a lot of people can relate. And if you're in the construction trades, like one of the most important tools you have is a square. You know, 
If you keep things square from the moment you start building whatever your project is, the whole project comes together the way it's supposed to, right? Like your measurements are gonna be right, your tools are gonna be right. right. I think there's a lot to be said about that in terms of the way that you produce, you, you project yourself to other people. No question. Whether you're an employee in the beginning looking to get a job, and this person is gonna give you the, this, like literally open this door of opportunity that can change the rest of your life forever because that guy that you you walk into this roofing company you can get that job that guy might teach you something that's going to turn you into a multi-millionaire in the next decade you know um that guy may be the guy that you buy his business from right that guy may be the guy who introduces you to whoever that's going to you know i mean it's just going to start this and if you can be a square, be a square, you know, like start from the beginning, right. firm handshake, dress presentably, right. shave your face, you know, try. Now again, we're like, talking about a construction job. You don't want to go in wearing a, a suit. suit. Yeah, we're not going that on would the be Wall inappropriate. Street. Yeah. Just walk in there, but yeah. look like a, yeah. look like you didn't just wake up on a, a clean park bench. t-shirt. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Clean t-shirt is, is appropriate. Obviously, right. you know, if you come in wearing a suit, they're probably going to assume that you're looking for a job where you don't get your fingernails done. Or a sales job or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, so you have to be careful to make sure that you are presenting yourself in a way yeah. that's appropriate. Yeah. And honestly, I've had situations where people go, can you start today, yeah, you know, absolutely. and like, so you may want to be prepared if you're going to go out there and like literally knock on someone's door, make sure you've got your boots and, and your tool belt in the back yeah. of your truck. Cause you yeah. might start that day yeah. right then. Um, I've had guys literally flag me down when I was working on remodel houses and, uh, pull their trucks over and say, Hey, what do you need help with? And I hired that guy and I used him for like months at a time and paid him thousands and thousands of dollars because he just happened to like drive by and I was like, this guy's a motivator, right. you know, like this guy's right. got ambition, you know, right. like I like this guy right. and uh, he moved away and so we it didn't end up uh, going too long, but you know, there is something to be said about walking in and just making yourself presentable. As an employer, I don't, I don't want to de deviate too far away because I want to get back to hear more about your process to getting here, but um, do you have any like memorable stories of somebody doing this or did this never happen to you? Like somebody walking into your office and saying, I'm looking for a job and this guy turns out to be a superhero <laughs> or somebody who really made an impression that was really impressive. Something that guys can take and, and use as a strategy, let's say. Unfortunately, no. Yeah, because it's not common. It isn't. That's why what we're talking about <laughs> right now, if yeah. you guys listen to this and you take it, it I'm telling you, man, this is like, this is, if you get hooked up with the right person, it's just like what you said earlier. The first guy you work with is verbal, verbally abusive. He's a total asshole. You know, he's just not, there's a lot of people like that in the trades and you're almost definitely going to get stuck with one of those guys yeah. on your first gig. You know, or you're going like to have it. some middle-aged, tired, cranky drunk who is teaching you how to do stuff. And he probably works his tail off and he probably knows everything there is to know about your trade. But that guy is a... And he's not you know, afraid to tell you that he knows everything there is to know. Yeah. Right, and right. how stupid you are. And how stupid you are. And what a <laughs> douchebag you are and all of this other stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's just part of the, that's part of the gig, yep. um, unfortunately, with the learning part. But the goal is to not be that freaking guy. Right. You know, like, A, think about you don't want to do that to other people when you become that guy. Because eventually right. you will be mentoring young people and training them up. Don't be that way, right. number one. But number two is, you know, remember that. When you dive into the trades, it thinks it's easy to remember or to think that like, oh, this is what my life is going to be like. I don't want to be that guy. You're right. You don't want to be that guy. You don't have to be. And you don't have to be. And that's that's the point that I'm really trying to drive home here. Um, so because this stuff is so 
because people don't approach the trades like it's a professional career because they don't know the potential that it offers. Society doesn't value it in that yeah, way. Yeah, right. They but don't. hilariously, like everybody, it doesn't matter whether you have a $100,000 house or you have a $10 million house, all of them were put together by these people. Every single one of them. That's exactly you know? right. And all of them paid lots and lots of money to the people who were capable of doing it. So, okay, so, so you start working piecework and now you're starting to earn a little bit more money. Mm -hmm. Your head is not in investments, right? You're not thinking about your future. You're not really like, do you have this general idea that you want to be rich or of you course. Want to, like that's your, okay, of well course. you say that, but you know. My entire <laughs> life, you know, I'm going to be rich one of these days and I'm going to have a big house and I'm going to have a, a fancy sports car, right. and, you know, and a big <laughs> new truck and, you know, and, Whatever that was, know. that was kind of the fantasy. You know that that was my idea of what rich was. So that was sort of like the goal, but you did no idea how it was going to happen. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> did no you clue. think that there was some way you were going to be able to get to a point where you were going to shingle enough square in order to make that happen, or was it just not? It wasn't even. Yeah, it was, like, it was. It was more of a fantasy than right than than a goal. Interesting. Okay, so. What happens after piecework? So you do that for how long, would you say? Probably about two or three years. Okay. Uh, then the market kind of tightened up and business got very, very, very slow. So I had to start looking around for other places to work. Uh, I had a, a guy that I worked with and we were uh, business partners back then. They called us subcontractors. Um, Technically, didn't fit the government's definition of a subcontractor, but that's that's how we were working. Um, <clears throat> I got involved with a company where they primarily hired us to do re-roofing, and we were doing that. We were doing well, and then they got a little bit slower, and they started uh, easing us into doing some repairs. I didn't have very much repair experience, but I started doing it, and I started learning more and more about doing proper roofing repairs, which most people think it's smear tar all over the place and that fixes the problem. Right, and right. I even had that false impression. And this, is, this is after you've been doing this full yeah. time for four, yeah. four years. I had no concept of how to fix a leak. Because you just did you know, what you did. I would take the old one off and put a new one on. That was right, my solution right, right, right. for fixing a leak. Sure. <laughs> you know? yeah. So um, I learned to do repairs and that I felt was incredibly valuable. Um, that, that was a whole new wheelhouse for me, uh, a skill set that I didn't previously had. So now I had not only the ability to install, and I had, I had learned to install other types of roofing other than shingles. So you're doing um, flat roofs, tile, metal, whatever. I hadn't done very much metal, you know, very, very, very minimum amount of metal. But um, learning to do the repairs gave me a much more clear understanding about the proper way to install it to begin with mm. because most of the time leaks would develop as the result of a poor installation technique originally. Interesting. In most Which was cases. technically code or acceptable but wasn't Well, I mean it would last for it. five years or seven right, years or right. whatever and then it would fail. And mm. if you don't know why, you can't alter that that pattern. Yeah, that, okay. that, that system or whatever you right. want to call it. Right. So I learned to do that at that same company. Uh, they were very strong into sales. It was a very sales-oriented business. And they started teaching me sales techniques. 
And I started learning that, and I really liked that because it was way easier. <laughs> I didn't sweat nearly as much. Right, right. Uh, and I was making as much, maybe a little bit more money uh, doing the repairs and doing sales. And from that, that evolved into an opportunity to manage a branch for that company. Okay. And uh, when the boss interviewed me after the, the lower level bosses uh, managed me, this was in about 1990, 91, somewhere around in there. And this company was doing three, three and a half million dollars back then, which was phenomenal. That was a, that was a pretty good sized roofing organization. So I had this opportunity to go in and, and manage a small branch for them that they, they had previously operating, but it was failing. Mm. The, the management was poor and, and it just wasn't, wasn't carrying itself. So I went in and after the lower level managers, you know, did the negotiation with me to take the position, I went in and talked to the big, big boss. Big boss says, he's got his feet up on his desk and he says, uh, <laughs> he says, so where do you see yourself five years from now? And I just kind of smiled at him and uh, he goes, what? And I said, right there in your chair. <laughs> and he goes, I like that answer. Yeah. He goes, but I'll tell you, the grass isn't always greener. The grass is greener. Just FYI. Yeah, right. just, just so, so you know, the grass is a lot greener. <laughs> Talk about not sweating as much. Yeah, well, there's that. Yeah. Uh, you, have, you have your freedom uh, to, to decide what you're going to do with your time. Right. You don't have somebody that's telling you, you will be here at this time doing this specific assignment. Right. Um, so just, just to be clear, so you're, you, you, you learn like basic, basic grunt work the mm -hmm. first over high school, really, like you Correct. learn the basics, and then you work for a year. You learn a lot in that period of time. Developed, yeah. And then for two or three years, you were re-roofing. Yep. Just make sure I get the story mm -hmm. right. And that's really, are you gaining mastery at this point? Are you? I would say so. You're excellent at what yeah, you Yeah, I felt like once I learned repairs, I felt like I had achieved everything that I needed to know regarding okay. being a roofer. Okay. So, like, you so had sufficient. I would knowledge. say between. About five years, I would say, altogether, actually working in the trade. Okay, so like you're physically working, though. This is Correct. not like you're taking off All and doing day, sales. Day. You're not being a driver. You're working. Yes. And you're making pretty good money increasingly as you produce yeah. more. I mean, better. Better yeah. than, yeah, okay. And then now you're getting into sales. And by yeah. the way, I'm taking care of my family. I'm right. providing for my wife and my children. My wife is not working. Right, right. She would occasionally take a small job, but... Taking care of her, yeah, extremely handsome young babies, right? So, and at this point, <laughs> at this point, we've got now you've got two. two. So, my younger brother right. is born three years after right. me, and so now you've got two kids right. in the house and a wife who's at home taking care of us. Right, and you're busting butt. So, you get into sales, you're learning sales, you do that for a while. Let's just fast forward because we okay. get an idea of what goes next. So, so we go to sales, we go to management. He he says, "Where do you see yourself in five years?" I gave him the answer. He said, so why do you want this job? And I told him, I said, I feel like I already know everything there is to know about roofing. And my ultimate goal is to have my own business. I don't know anything about business. So this management position is going to give me the opportunity to learn the business side of mm -hmm. the business. Mm -hmm. You know, the production part, for me, that's easy. But lots of people fail because they know how to do a job really, really well but they don't know how to do payroll. Right. They don't know how to handle personnel. Insurance. Car insurance, yeah. vehicles, pay bills. 
all of that stuff. Uh, handle advertising, you know, all the business stuff that is behind the scenes. You know, it's right. all the stuff that other people don't see. Right, right, you know? right. So, I mean, yeah, you tell somebody, I'm in the roofing business. They're like, great, you do roofs. Yeah, but I also do advertising and I also, you know, have to negotiate prices with my suppliers. I have to get establish credit with my suppliers. I have to... Um, develop relationships with property management companies and apartment builders. complexes and builders and I got to go out and talk to customers and you know earn their trust and their business right and so you just let this guy know like I want I you, to, I want you to teach me yeah how to be yeah how to run my business yeah. did he like that or was and he I, like I think off? yeah no he respected that yeah um I think he halfway believed me because the overwhelming majority of people talk more than they act. Mm. Well, <laughs> I'll ask. <him>. Yes. <laughs> uh, most people want more than they do. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So you do it. You take. He gives you the job. I did exactly. Yeah. I got the position. I did the job. I did it well. For how long would you say? Uh, almost exactly five years. Okay. Uh, at this time, mom's pregnant with baby number three. And uh, I decided to quit my job and start a business. <laughs> that's great and by the way I was on salary with management okay so okay. I was on a fixed paycheck right for that five which, year period which you know time. I mean anybody who's done that we know it's that's convenient for your budget because you know exactly how much you've got to pay right. your mortgage and to pay your car right. payments and right. you know all of this right yeah. and we had all of that and you're about to just jump off and only be you're going to be fully responsible for every dollar you got and you don't exactly. have any other investments any other passive income you have no other source of money you're just going to got dead up to here <laughs> And three, well, two and a half babies and, yeah. and a wife at home. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're going to go for it. So you do it. I jumped off. Right. That's, <laughs> I quit that's my fun. job and uh, started my business. And What was the intent? Like, what was the, why, why did you decide, why didn't you just say, like, I'm going to try and, like, work this management and, you know, just stay in that, whatever other business you were in. Like, why so did you decide to do that? It was, it was multi-purpose. I had a coworker that was egging me to begin with. Okay. Because he was constantly pointing out how much money we were earning for the boss, and you know we're only getting a small piece, and sure. he's not uh, showing us the respect that we felt like we deserved <laughs> for the service we were providing. Meaning, you weren't getting paid for the value you're producing for the company. That, you felt like. he, again, this this was a guy that was um, he didn't have a problem ripping you down in front of other people. Oh, okay, gotcha. So again, this is a character another flaw. verbally abusive yeah. person. Right. Um, you know, I was, I was forced to attend a sales meeting at night after hours every Wednesday and, uh, also forced to work every other Saturday. So it was five days, one week, six, six days the next week. Plus, you know, Wednesday was a marathon. It went from seven o'clock in the morning till I would usually get home around eight yeah. on Wednesday. So you're, you're basically in a situation where you're feeling like you're producing more value than you're getting paid. You oh, can see sure. the opportunity to make sure. more by starting your own business. Now, with that said, that feeling never goes away. Right. <laughs> yeah, no matter what you do, no matter how much money you make, you always feel like you're worth more. Yeah. Right. Well, and, honestly, and I used to tell my, guy, my own employees when I did start my own business, I would tell them, I know you're worth more than I'm paying you. Right. I'm paying you as much as I can. 
But please believe me when I tell you that I know that your work is hard. Right. And I know sometimes it really sucks. Yes. And you deserve <laughs> to get paid more. And if I could, I would. But I am constricted by, by what the market will bear. Right. Correct. You, know? you can only pay you as a business owner. I can charge and... more and pay you more. But we're probably going to go out of business and you're not going to have a job. Right. Because nobody's going to be willing <laughs> to pay that's what the market does. $5,000 more for this roof exactly. because I, I want exactly. to give you a raise. I'm not going to go in yeah. and tell the, tell the uh, customer, well, you know, I pay my guys more than anybody else. Right. Because my guys are really great. Right. So I need to charge you $5,000 more than that guy. Yeah, they're going to say, hey, They're going to go, well, you know, that's wonderful. I, I commend you for that. Right. And good luck with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Have a good day. Because I've got five bids behind you who are exactly. all paying in 5000 less. Exactly. And alas, they're going to do this. And, you know. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think there's like a couple big things you just said, like knowing what it's like in the field. That's, you know, from a military standpoint, you know, there's a lot of officers who are kind of like the managers of the military who were never enlisted, right. which are like the workers. And... You can tell, like you always know when there's an officer who was never enlisted because he just has a certain like air about him. And then you can always tell the really good officers usually were the ones who were enlisted. They know what it's like and they go, look, I know what I'm asking you to do. I've been in your shoes. I've worn your rank, but now I'm in this position and this is what we got to do. This is the reality that we have to live right. in. And you know what? It's a lot easier to take it from that guy. You oh, know? For sure. Like from a management perspective. For sure. Um, so... And then also when your employees come to you and, and say, yeah, you know, you're, you're as the employer, I'm saying, why did this job take you two days? This should have been a one-day job. Right. Well, you know, this was a really, really hard job, and we had this happen and that happen and that happen. And if that happened once in a while, you can say, I understand these things happen. You right. run into circumstances that, sure. you know, they just takes longer. Sure. But you consistently take two days to do a one-day job. Right, right. I've been there and done that. You can't BS me. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah absolutely. I know exactly I how yeah. long this work should I, take. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally yeah. understand that. Now, I realize I'm Superman and you're not, <laughs> you know, but come on. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great point. And I think there's a lot of people that get bitter about that when they of say course. like, oh, well, that freaking jerk, he's just sitting in his air-conditioned office all day. It's easy for you to say. It's easy yeah. for you to say. Like, well, it is It is easier it to is say easy. when you're in air-conditioned. That's true. Yeah. But, like, you know what? Like, if you... I don't... Ultimately, like, if you get hired to do a job, that's the job you're getting hired to do. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about what it is. Your only goal should be to do it as well as possible, as quickly as possible. And I think this is true whether you're getting paid by the piece, where you get money as a result of the more you do but you should be doing this all the time Agreed. no matter what you're getting paid by the hour i should be cramming as much work in as possible for a number of reasons but mostly for my own satisfaction because right. if i'm out there working and somebody's paying me ten dollars an hour i mean i remember working at like circuit city which is an electronics store back in the day uh, when i was in high school and and sitting there at like 10 o'clock at night during season or something and nobody's in the store and i'm like i feel guilty i'm getting paid twelve dollars an hour I haven't sold anything. I've just sold zero dollars. Right. Like I've had no value as right. a sales guy. You right. Know? And but you know you should hold yourself to this standard. There's this culture out there that says like, oh, you should do the minimum requirement. 
That is stupid. If you that want is, minimum results, you that, give minimal effort. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> if you want to be a loser, stay like that because that is yep. the perfect way to stay at the bottom of the barrel and to yep. be a just an objectionable person. So yep. just for your own sake, <laughs> you know, you, you, you should be the kind of person who tries to do as much work as you possibly can. And that's whether you're on the clock, you're off the clock, if you're at home, if you're in regards to your family, in regards to spending time with your kids, like you should be doing as much as you can with everything you can like you should be efficient in every area of your life you as know? much as possible sure uh, yeah i mean within reason obviously yeah. i'm not talking about running a marathon every right. single day right. but you know just have the self-respect to want to go out into the world and do good work and to do a lot of it and to not try to game the system or like oh what if, what if i can do this and i can like you know shimmy these numbers around this will like help me get extra money without doing extra work like that's just that's just not the way to think do create more value make more money that's right. the way it should be more value more money more value more money so but i wanted to return real quick to something you said earlier you said that um oh now i'm forgetting what it was <laughs> we're gonna have to cut this part i'm getting old apparently uh you said something about whatever we'll just get back right into it so so anyway make more value make more money make more value make more money that's that's just the best way to do it so all right so you jump off and you start your own business right and you go back on the roof yes <laughs> i remember yes, I did. I, i'm like 10 years old nine years old at this literally time. by myself yeah uh, physically re-roofing a house tearing off the old roof no employees clean none Zero. So you're a one-man band. <laughs> I was, it was me, a 1964 Chevy pickup, and a, and a four by eight trailer with two foot sides. <laughs> that was my roofing business. <laughs> yeah, and you're what, 29, 30? 30. Okay. So did you ever have a time when you felt like uh, customers looked at you like, who's this young guy as a one-man band? Like, Did you feel like you had that problem? Did you have to get over that? Or was it a benefit to you? What, what was that like? So my initial contact with nearly everyone was by phone. And the first thing I say when I speak to a customer is, hi, my name is Earl Wright. And they hear my name. And they hear Earl and they hear, that's an old man's name. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that you speak and conduct yourself. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm professional and I'm polite and I'm knowledgeable. And... Then when the people meet me, typically one of the first things they would say is, oh, I was expecting an older guy. Yeah. And I would say, well, I hope you're not too disappointed. <laughs> and, and this ties right back into what we talked about earlier, walking into an office and getting a job. Yeah. Because when you, are, when you own your own business and you're selling your service, you're doing the same thing. You're walking to somebody's house and you're asking them for a job. Mm -hmm. you know? exactly right. You're, you're interviewing for a job. So whether you're on the phone, when you're presenting yourself. So I think the same thing is true. That crosses borders as a business owner at whatever level you are, right? Whether you're a multinational Forbes 500 company or whatever, or whether you're just this little one-man roofing company. Right. You have to present yourself in that way. And I used to be afraid about... Like, oh, this guy's too young or this guy's not going to know what he does. You don't have to worry about that if you're actually competent. Right. If you're actually competent and you know how to speak um, and you are square, then, man, it's easy. It's so simple. You can it really just, is. You can, people will believe you because they know when you're being truthful. So That was my biggest fear was making sure that I could 
earn enough business, not money, but the work, you know, get mm-hmm. the work right, right. to begin with yeah. to earn the money. And I found out that being biggest part of being professional is communication. And the overwhelming majority of people that have uh, trade businesses are really poor at communication. Yeah, meaning like answering your phone. Answer the phone. Returning uh, emails. If you have an answering machine, you know, when you get the message, return the call. Right. <laughs> you know. Or if you pick up the phone and you go, my hands are full, I'm going to call you back, actually call them back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you tell somebody you're going to call them back, call them back. Right. If you tell somebody, you know, there's a few things, some information I've got to gather before I can give you this estimate, go gather the information, put together a proposal, and deliver it. And give it to them. Or if you say, yeah. I have to do this two days from now. Right. Deliver it on that second day. Yeah. At, from the drywall business, I get people constantly, constantly saying, you got hired. Not only be, we liked everything. We loved your website. We, we like you guys. You answered the phone. You showed you up. You did what you said. you came on time. And people are shocked. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. I can't believe it. Like you actually... That's a sad commentary on society today. But... And again, it's real. <laughs> super easy way to break apart from. Oh, you're ahead of ninety percent. If you, it's like what you're saying earlier. If you have a valid driver's license and your own truck, like you're already like leaps and bounds ahead. If you, from a business perspective, if you answer your freaking phone and then show up on time, it's like you've already won the day. You know. Everybody wants respect. Very mm. few people want to be respectable. Ah, interesting. That's a good way to put be it. Be respectable. Yeah. And what does that mean? It means do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. If you tell somebody you're going to be there, be there. You tell them you're going to call them, call them. There was this guy a couple thousand years ago, real smart. His name is Jesus. You may have heard of him. I remember that guy. Yeah, he said uh, something pretty similar to that. Which goes along the lines of treat people the way that you want to be treated. You Not know, yes, be yes, and yeah. no, be no. Yes, exactly. Do what you say, and then treat people the way that you expect to be treated. It's, mm-hmm. an, it's an amazing principle that mm-hmm. sort of all of you know Western civilization lies on, and success in business certainly, without a doubt, <laughs> relies on that. Without so, a doubt. So, okay, so you do this. Let's go ahead and fast forward. So we don't have to get into all the, the biographical details. You can write a okay. memoir. We'll read about that later. Um, so now you're, you make a business. It starts to grow, right? Yes. So over the next handful of years, you're growing this business. Now you're getting employees. Now I have some employees, right? You're getting into a more of a managerial style for your own business. Correct. You're buying property, right? You buy a real estate for your Correct. project. Yeah, I was about three years um, in. Now you're making better money, right? Yeah. You're doing pretty good. Yeah. Are you equivalent to what you left? At this point? Oh, like no. I, so what I did when I started my business was I decided to pay myself the exact same salary that I was previously okay. earning. Okay. Regardless of whatever I was actually producing, my paycheck was going to be exactly the so same. So if you made 10000 more than what you needed that month, that just, you didn't like it just suck sat it away. There. You, it, you it, saved it for a rainy it day. It functioned or, as either you know, a reserve or if I needed a new piece of equipment, whatever the case whatever, may be. Until you got to it. It was reinvested into the business. Got it. That's, that's so, yeah. people don't, people don't understand this. Yeah. Especially, especially guys like, I mean, in my business, I don't really run a business like you do. I'm a one man band. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you have to do the same thing. I put myself on a payroll. I get paid a check. You know, and it doesn't matter whether I triple, which I often do. I mean, I'll triple my paycheck in a week, but then the next week, if it, may not. it doesn't do that, then yeah. that balances out over time. Or if yep. I go, Missy and I go on vacation, now I've got my check still going to roll in that Friday. You know, uh, that's a that's a huge pro tip. Yep. Um, okay, so you're that's great. So you're making better money. 
Tell me about when we start making. I did upgrade my truck. Okay, well, (laughs) (laughs) with a bigger payment, (laughs) and and you got dump trucks. I remember and stuff like that. Yeah, and and uh, and like I said earlier, you bought a building for your company to operate out of, or a a unit, I guess, at the time was the first one. But so you're you're doing some of these like basic building things. You're building this business since becoming more successful. Still a small business, handful Mm -hmm. of crews type of thing. When do you make the transition from being like, okay, so I'm making this money, I'm building this business to now I want to start approaching that sort of idea of building wealth. Like how do we make that transition from I'm a business guy, I'm a worker to how am I going to like create a legacy? So that all started. So I started the, the roofing business in 98. Uh, somewhere around 2004 was when I was introduced to Dave Ramsey. Okay. And I started learning that there are actually human beings in the United States that don't live with car payments and boat payments and credit card payments and even house payments. And my head exploded. I was like, people do that? Yeah. You mean <laughs> I could get paid all this money and keep it? Yeah, instead of sending much. it to Chase Bank or to pretty City much. Bank? Yeah. yeah, it was, it was, I wouldn't say it was shocking. It was shocking. That's probably not the best word. What it was was a whole new way of looking at things and I couldn't even hardly accept it when I first started hearing this. I was like, who does that? That's yeah. not real. Yeah. My dad told me at one point, I think I already said this to you, you'll spend what you make. Right. And I had done exactly that. When I earned more money, you know, when I went from let's say I was making thirty two thousand dollars when I started and then you know I bumped it up to forty, I was like, Woohoo, I'm, I'm making rich. that money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean at some point I started paying myself $1,000 a week, and I really did, in my brain, think that I was rich. Yeah. It was stupid, but <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> it's all about our perspective, you know? Yeah. So. I, if we can back up, just we skipped over a part that I, I wanted to share. I used to always, uh, while well, I was working side by side with my first few employees, and there was a lot of driving time going to and from the job or to the dump or to get materials or whatever or lunch. And we would have conversations while we're driving. And one of my favorite things to ask people was, what do you think rich is? And I got answers that were all over the place. Probably the most common was, well, you know, a millionaire's rich. Okay. Uh, I had another guy tell me if I made $50,000 a year, I'd be rich. And I laughed because I was making $50,000. I can tell you right now, that, that ain't, ain't rich. rich. <laughs> Not even close. Not even in 2004 no, or whatever, yeah. too. Yeah. No, well, this was still 98, 99, okay. 2000, somewhere Point is, range. it ain't rich, no matter where Not you're even at. close. Yeah, you have to go yeah. back to like 1812. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if you were making 50 grand in the... 20s, you may have been You're rich. doing pretty good. Yeah, you'd have been very well I don't very think well you'd be rich. Well, anyway, yeah, you're so, exactly right. You're so exactly tell me right. about it. So uh, the reason I would ask the question is because I was looking for an answer. What is, what is rich? Uh, Dave Ramsey helped me to start understanding that. Uh, for a while, first of all, he was talking about getting out of debt, having a, having a cash reserve, which I always kept a small cash reserve. Typically, it was around three thousand dollars. Right, rainy day fund is what. <laughs> yeah, Dave, and for those of you who don't know, Dave Ramsey runs a like a huge radio show that you can find online, podcasts, and he writes books and seminars and all this stuff. 
And he's the get out of debt guy. That's that's basically the whole his premise whole thing. of his existence is debt is evil. Yes, right, right, literally, <laughs> and, and uh, unbiblical and all kinds yeah. of other things. So you get exposed yeah. to this guy. So he's helping yeah. you develop your understanding. I'm starting of what to that think means. differently now. Okay. So I was like, huh, I can do that. I can get out of debt. Didn't really intellectually. It's easy to understand how that's beneficial and good but you don't realize what it does to your brain. Mm. Uh, like, like your brain chemistry changes <laughs> when you're actually out of debt and you don't, you don't have to make, you don't, you don't have to worry about whether or not you're making a lot of money because you know, previously I needed $5,000 a month to pay my bills. Well, now my two cars are paid for, my boat's paid for, my credit card's paid off. Now all I got left is my house payment and you know, I can get by on about two to three thousand dollars, right? You know that I have to earn. You so cut your expenses in half. Exactly. By getting rid of. And I haven't not having payments on stuff. Okay. And by the way, I still got my stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> it's not brand new stuff anymore, but yeah, still got my stuff. So so okay. So you start thinking about this, and that's is that what rich means? Is that you're out of debt? Is that rich? So I started getting familiar with other gurus if you will um i've always been interested in real estate always 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 why i don't know i just instinctively saw it as a path pathway to wealth to me it was like i just looked around i was probably 16 i was about 15 16 when you got exposed to dave ramsey and you gave me his book and I read it and I was like, okay, well, I don't have any money or debt or anything else going on in my life. So I'll just, I'm try, and, again. I'll just try and do as much of this as I can. Right. I've already got the debt snowball easy, right. you know? <laughs> exactly. So, um, but, uh, so you, you were saying earlier, your dad bought his house and you were like, that's what you uh -huh. gotta do. But for me, it was like, I just looked around at all the rich people I saw or what I perceived to be rich people. Well, you thought was rich. All right? of those people owned real estate. All of them. I don't know if it was just because of the like the church we went to or something or whatever, but like everybody I knew that had what I perceived to have money, those people had real estate, and I was like, okay, easy enough, let's do that. When you say real estate, do you mean they they lived in a big house? Well, they had nice houses usually, um, but you know, and of course, like I perceive that as wealthy, like rich or rich, I guess. Rich people have really nice houses. Big houses, you yeah. know, yeah. Right. Uh, no, I'm talking about like in like rental property. You know, I understood okay. the idea that people owned real estate, and you started doing this. And we'll get to that in a in a minute, pretty early on, right around the same kind of time when you're getting exposed to Dave Ramsey. And I start seeing like what the potential is, even though you weren't like doing successful, like wildly successful in the I wasn't beginning. Doing a good like, job. I got the picture, you know, that yeah. this is, this is like, you do this thing, you just have to do it in the way that makes the most sense. So yeah, I totally understand what you mean. It's just some, there's something about real estate that's really appealing. It just is, it always had a natural attraction yeah. to real estate. I mean, well, being in construction, I was gonna say you're. A construction I know guy. and understand houses, yeah. and you know? you know how to fix them. You can buy a dump. I mean, right now we're sitting in you know the background of this entire video is my most recent remodel that I'm in the middle of right now, and um, yeah, I mean it's like when you when you know how to do things, it makes the process of investing in real estate so much easier. I mean, I have saved. At this point, I probably saved somewhere in the neighborhood of forty to fifty grand just to this point. Well, this house, because I installed the kitchens and I did the trim and I did the drywall and I did the priming and I did the you know the, all of this stuff. Uh -huh. Just just labor costs, you know. Um, so that's that's a huge thing. We'll get to that. I don't want to get too too far ahead of ourselves. So carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave Ramsey teaches me about uh, 
eliminating debt, so I'm working on that. Uh, as we mentioned, I started buying real estate around 2001. I bought my first house. Uh, it was totally conventional. I think I did 10% down. Which you just saved up from? Which I just saved up from my job, okay. uh, from my business. And uh, and when you say your first house, you mean your first rental house? First rental house, okay. yes. Because we owned the house that we grew up in. You Correct. Know, you owned, yeah. Correct. Um, at that point, I had, that, I had only owned two houses, uh, the very first house I bought and then the house that you grew up in. Right. And you sold the first house you bought. We did, um, which looking back now, I wish I never had. But I understand. And they've done that. <laughs> yes. Water under the bridge at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and there's no looking back, by the way. <laughs> I mean, you can look back, but it doesn't it change doesn't do anything. It doesn't do you any good. It just hurts my feelings. Anything. Every time I look at every house I it's sell, It's not really fair to say it. it doesn't do you any good because hopefully you learned something. Yeah, from correct. It, right, right. So when you look back, you look at what the lesson was right, right. You know, and, and value that Yeah. because uh, it does have value. So now you must be rich. You bought your first rental oh, house. Oh, yeah. Without you, a doubt. You, I mean, you, I own two houses now. So and when I say own, I mean, I had mortgages on two houses. <laughs> <laughs> Were you... So, and this is just an annual rental, you get a 12-month lease type thing. Correct. And and I was netting about $100 a month. That was pretty good. Yeah, buddy. What does net mean? Tell, <laughs> tell us what that means. Let's just break that down. Net means uh, what you've got coming in versus what you've got going out. Net is what's left over. Okay, so you get so a $1,000 rent check? In my case, I had a, let's say the rent was, in that, in that time, 2001, rent was about $800. Uh, my mortgage was around six fifty, something like that, um, with taxes and insurance, and then almost inevitably every month something needed to be fixed. Right. You know, so I'd have to spend a little bit of money fixing something. So you got hundred bucks so, a month, yeah, positive cash flow. So my <laughs> my annual income increased by about twelve hundred dollars a year. Right. Wow. Which rich. So now so yeah, so let's let's I want to talk about the rich and, and versus getting into this idea of wealthy. And I wanna hear what your answer is and then it's probably the same as mine, I'm pretty sure it is. But what tell me what that is because I want to circle back around to this idea so that it gives it more context when we start moving forward. You wanna to the rest know of what your rich investment. versus wealthy is? Yeah. It's a tough distinction. Um Rich to me is probably substantially different from nearly everyone. Rich to me is, is being able to buy literally anything you want, anytime you want, without any consideration for consequences. Right, right. <laughs> At all. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you want to buy an $800,000 yacht, yeah. you can just do that. Right. And it doesn't affect your life. Right. I don't basically. have to worry That's about you know, whether or not I'm going to be able to make my tax bill next month right. or, or mortgage payment right. or whatever anything else or whether or not we're going to have to cut back on going out to eat you know as yeah. often right so it's basically money is not an object and you and can do more no or less whatever whatsoever you want. yeah to me okay. that's what rich is. yeah i agree with you I, I to me it's it's more about like it's a numbers thing yeah it's like you have a lake of money and you can just like it doesn't matter if you go in there with a five gallon bucket it or never like empties. a bathtub it's just <laughs> it's just a big big never, ass yeah. pile of money <laughs> right that's exactly so that's rich Wealthy is a different thing, though, because and wealthy is really what we drive towards in my in my definition in this program, which is when you so the first step is to identify like this is the way that I want to live, like this is the kind of house that I want to be in, this is the kind of car I want to drive, these are the kind of vacations I want to take, like the lifestyle that you live, and that costs X amount of money per year, and if you can earn that much 
plus a little bit more in passive income, money that you don't have to work for anymore from rentals or other good investments, to me, that's wealthy. You live the life you want and it pays for itself based on investments you've made. That's how I define wealthy. Okay. Where are you? That's a good definition. You like, I like it. it? Okay. Well, good. Well, I'm glad we, <laughs> I'm glad, I thought it was going to be good. No, that's similar, an excellent like, definition. Side to side. So, yeah, because I used to think like, well, if your passive income covers your bills, then you're wealthy. But that's not really true because, you know, I, I have been like really close to that situation when my bills were like $2,000 a month, you know, as a single guy and I had some passive income coming in. That, well, I wasn't wealthy. I was driving a 20-year-old truck and I was like not able to go on vacation wherever I wanted or really anywhere, you know. Right. And, um, and, and so that wasn't really wealthy. So that's where the living the lifestyle that you want to live um, within, you know, within a certain degree of reason and then if you can get your passive income to cover that. So let's use your example of your first rental house that you buy. You're feeling like you're freaking winning. Like I am now in real estate. I have bought a rental property and I get $100 per month. <laughs> so let's say that the life you want to live, you could afford that life, especially with combined with uh, the, no, that thing. Let's say that you need $100,000. I wasn't there yet. Okay. I was not there okay, yet. That fair, didn't come until years later. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. That's good to know. Yeah. So in, in, in like, this is just something I wanted to sort of touch on. I was there firsthand sort of watching you and we had a lot of conversations. You were so great about communicating and, and giving me the education that you were learning in real time. And you know, this is not in, in any meant in any way negatively, but you kind of stumbled your way into like, no question becoming it. successful. It wasn't like you had a mentor or you didn't have like a, a, a game plan where you were like, you know, it was kind of like you made mistakes and you figured it out and you asked questions and eventually and we'll get to that in a moment. Eventually you figured it out, which has been great and are still working on it, you know, and still learning and still doing yeah. all of that. But so we use your hundred dollar net positive net flow. Let's say you need to make a uh, hundred thousand dollars or let's, let's use $120,000 a year. That's $10,000 per month. You're getting $100 a month from this house in the way that you were investing before. You need a lot of houses. <laughs> yes, and, you uh, do. Especially when you're when you like you just said are saving up ten percent, uh, and that's a conventional loan. If you want to own that many houses, guess what? You need twenty five, thirty percent uh, in order to get to that stage. Mm -hmm. So, like that, just ain't practical. Not unless you're Methuselah, no. you're going to be around for right. nine hundred years working your tail off. That's just not very practical. Right. So. How do you break away from well, that? Well, let, like, let me back up better? for a little bit on how I justified buying that house that, that netted a hundred bucks. Because a hundred bucks isn't going to change anybody's life. Right. It really isn't. Right. I mean, it, it, the homeless guy on the corner, it's going to get him, you know, a couple of meals beers. and, and yeah. beer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but tomorrow he'll be spec <laughs> standing right. on the corner, you know. Right. right. Um, maybe he'll stay in a hotel that night. Who knows? Whatever. Um, my justification was, I know. 30 years from now, that house will be paid off. <laughs> okay. And so, you're going to be retiring roughly. That yeah. Time. And I'm, I'm still a young man. So I got 30 years to, to wait. Um, I'm going to make a little bit of money in the meantime. Enough to cover you, not underwater. Correct. Yep. I'm, I'm positive cash flowing on that thing. And I know that as time goes on, the rents are going to go up and the value of the property is also going to go right. up. But the... But the mortgage but payment. My mortgage payment is going to stay. In that case, I think I estimated about six fifty a month. So, you know, my justification was off in the distance. Right. Correct. I know it's. I'm working today to build for what's going right. to happen 
sometime off in the distant future. Correct. You're, you're touching on something. <laughs> and I didn't have a crystal ball, by the that way. That is so, so important. Well, you kind of do, right? I mean, you can look back at the last, like, 300 years of our country's history, and you can see that it goes in a pretty, like, you know, I mean, we it's don't know what's going to happen. It's expected that it's going to happen. But that's, to what that's extent, we don't know. Right. Well, yeah, obviously, you're not going to be able to time the market, and that is right. what it is. But I, I, So I, I was kind of, like, picking on the idea of this idea of, well, I'm only making $100 a month. It's actually not the worst strategy in the world. I mean, it certainly was valuable to you, right? I mean, it... So prior to actually purchasing that house... I got involved in what was called the Real Estate Investors Association. Okay. It was a Wednesday afternoon lunch meeting where they would get to, all these investors would get together and have lunch. It wasn't just investors. Uh, I was there because I was a contractor wanting to do work for oh, okay. the guys that are there in that club. <laughs> sure. They're all buying houses and all the houses they're buying are trash because they're buying them to rebuild them and resell them. Remodel them. The majority of trashed houses need new roofs. Mm-hmm. I'm your guy. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was my initial. After that, you sell them one time, yeah, and now you've got exactly. opportunity. And we were building relationships yeah. with those people. Uh, so I'm there to earn their roofing business. As I mentioned, I've always had a natural interest in real estate. So I'm learning while I'm there. Right. Uh, while I'm While I'm learning, I'm also building relationships with money lenders, uh, hard money lenders, uh, other people that are there. Some guys are there flipping houses. Some guys are rental property. I'm meeting mortgage people. I'm meeting insurance people. Right. I'm meeting other tradesmen. Uh, it's, it's just a nice variety of people that are all involved in the people. same focus, which is right. real estate in general. Right. And not only do they, you have lunch, but usually they have a speaker, they have a guy yeah. that teaches you about like, yeah. I'm a mortgage broker and this is how I do my business. And if you want to work with me, do these things. So and did you know a, you can save this much by doing this? Right, right. Or did you know that when you use a broker, you pay a fee to a broker to get you a loan from a guy you could have went to directly yourself? Right. right. Or all kinds no, of I didn't know that. I thought you had to use a broker. Right. Did you know that there is this kind of loan that you <laughs> yeah. don't have to like show your tax returns on? Exactly. Or did you know that there's these you can there's a wealth? I mean, right. it's kind of like what this podcast does. Right? Or they I mean, will tell you, you know, the government's rolling thing. out this new program where, right. you know, right. or you, locally we have if you this, meet these criteria, yeah, yeah. In Florida, you know, we have this credit where you can get windows and you know a tax credit that you can amortize over mm-hmm. years or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're learning a lot of stuff. Absolutely, and and very diverse information right and from like people who own one or two houses mm-hmm. and people who own a thousand houses like there's a whole like wide range right. of different people so, so at this association meeting i meet this guy uh that's flipping houses a guy named mark and mark just bought this house yesterday he's after the meeting he goes hey man give me your card i want to get an estimate on my roof so i go out and I meet Mark on the job and I said, what are you going to do with this house? And he goes, oh, I'm going to do this, that. Obviously, we're putting a roof on here and we're going to put air conditioning on it. And we're going to, you know, clean it up and paint it and get all that garbage out and fix some floors and this, that, and the other thing. I was like, wow. I said, do you mind if I ask, you know, what, what do you think this house is going to be worth? And he goes, when I'm all done, it'll be worth about 65. I'm going to put about 10 into it and I bought it for 45. And I was like, wow, how long do you think all this is going to take? He goes, it should be about 90 days. I was like, you're going to make 10 grand in 90 days? <laughs> Remember, this was, yeah, was 2000, ago. Yeah, 2001. Yeah. And uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, he says, that's what I do. That's how I earn my living. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And then, of course, my brain's going, yeah, but 
you owe $45,000 and you got this garbage heap. You know? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's horrifying. He's like, yeah, well, you know, after you do it a few times, you know, it's, it's still a little scary, but you get used to it and, you know, things work out and I haven't been burned so far. So I said, I said, so would you sell it to me? And he goes, what do you mean? You mean like after I fix it up or before? And I was like, no, right now as it is. And he goes, and by the way, I had been listening to, uh, at that time, the popular real estate guru was Carlton Sheets. Carlton Sheets. I was going to say it was either Carlton Sheets or Ron LeGrand. (laughs) Both of them actually. I was listening to both of them. And both of those guys were the king of no money down real estate. Yeah. And probably the most valuable thing that I learned from those guys is if you don't ask, the answer is always no. That's right. <laughs> and I said, Mark, I said, will you, uh, will you sell me this house? And he goes, yeah. And I said, I want to, I want to buy it now. And he goes, terrific. And I said, well, will you finance it for me? And he goes, and I said, before you answer that, I want you to do it with no money down. And he was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, so how much do you want? And he goes, well, give me 55,000 for it. I was like, and I got to put about 10 into it. And he goes, well, you're going to do a lot of the work yourself. And obviously the roof's going to be cheaper for you. And it'll be about 65 when you're done. And I said, yeah, okay. And, and he said, yes. And I was like, <laughs> oh shit, I just bought a house. <laughs> but you, put, you, 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 you found the deal, you got the financing, and you did it all just boom, boom, I boom. put myself in the right place. Because of what my interests were and what I was right. doing and, and the, the people that doing. I associated myself with and the things that I was putting in my head, right. you know, from these no money down real estate yeah. guys and how to buy yes. uh, how, different ways to um, structure deals, you know, yeah. regarding the financing options. I mean, who in the world would have ever thought that I could just go up to a guy and say, hey, will you finance this for me with no money down? Right. Now, the catch was... I had to pay him in full within six months. Sure, which is called a balloon. Which right. was terrifying. And you have to pay, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> it was absolutely terrifying. Um, so what I did was, obviously we put the roof on there pretty quickly and we started cleaning things up and I was doing 99% of the work myself. The other 1% was me, just FYI. Yeah. I remember like, <laughs> in seventh grade, like scraping the paint off the side of this dump. Yep, slave labor. <laughs> Highly recommend it if you can yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you learned a valuable lesson. It's true. Yeah. Don't scrape paint. Yeah. Without a mask. Without a mask on. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to die of emphysema when I'm 42 years old. But anyway, that's a different yeah. story. <laughs> so uh, we did that immediately. I'm terrified because I got to refinance this thing within six months. So I immediately went to the bank and I said, I've got this house and I've got a balloon coming up in six months and. I need you guys to finance this for me. And by the way, I had already developed a relationship with a broker <laughs> uh, on the last deal that I did, which was only like six months earlier. Okay. So I go to this person and I tell them, you know, here's here's the deal I got, and they're like, yeah, this this should be no problem at all. You know, once you get these problem, you know, these repairs made, and we can get inspections and everything's approved, this will be no problem at all. We can do this for you. Um, cause back then they were doing, um, uh, they were doing cash out fine refinances, uh, which 
I don't necessarily recommend. There's a lot of guys that do, but I'm not that guy, at least not right at this point in my life. Um, oh, darn it. She says, because I told her, I said, the balloon is in six months. She goes, well, we can probably get this thing done for you in about 30 to 60 days. Will this guy give you a discount if you pay it off early? And I went, I don't know, but I'm going to ask. <laughs> and I asked, and sure enough, he told me he would give me $1,000 off for each month that I paid it off early. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, right. <laughs> so now I'm like super motivated. Yeah. 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 And I, I so you put the did the repairs. I did the refinance. I ended up saving like two or $3,000 off yeah. the original agreed upon purchase price. And now I got a piece of real estate that the only thing I have invested in it is my time and effort. Right. Because you refinanced out the improvements. Uh, I don't recall if I did or not. So, yeah, I would have had a little bit of the, the cost, the of, cost the of the improvements. Yeah, because there's no... But I didn't make a down payment. Right. Correct. You're right. No yeah. cash out in the front exactly. end. Exactly. Yeah. So I didn't, I, didn't have, uh, I didn't have to come up with money to get into the deal to begin with. Right, right, right. So you were able to either you came up with it or you refinanced out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Two things that I think are really valuable in this little story. Number one is you were able to ask the question because you already had the education, right? You had listened because to Because I knew the right question Because you had Carlton Sheets who told you, ask this question. Right. And then just figure it out from there. Right. And then Ron LeGrand saying, like, no money down. This is what you should be doing. Right. So when you guys are out there and you're thinking like, I'm just like, I'm at the stage where I have to walk into the roofing company and get a job. Like I'm nowhere close to investing in real estate right now. Like, no, you're starting right now. Like you're building this education. So when you're listening to this conversation, you need to know that you are gaining a education that is going to be so insanely valuable to you. And you want to gather as much information from all kinds of different areas. You know, listen to my podcast, listen to Bigger Pockets guys, listen to Dave Ramsey, listen to all this stuff. And even if you're not ready to act right now, you're building that foundation that your future empire is going to be built upon. So you should be learning and reading. I mean, you used to give me the books, the, the Carlton Sheet books. I remember I sat in my room, I read the entire book in one night when I was probably 15, 16 years old. I think back old. then it was VHS tapes. Well, we had VHS tapes, we had cassette tapes, and you had a, I, I still have it on my yeah. bookshelf right now. It's a yeah. blue book with Ron LeGrand's face. You know, uh, with the, the, like the big mullet thing he has. But uh, anyway, so, you know, that was the first thing. Like, no, get the information and develop your education as much as possible. And you don't have to use possible. any of it right away. No, and you may never use any There'll of it. There'll be nuggets that'll stick. Yes, for sure. And then the second thing is, this is a, I just made a video about this the other day, but you, every time you talk to somebody, Every time you should be telling them what you're trying to accomplish. I'm looking to buy houses. I'm looking to invest in real estate. I'm looking to start getting into the drywall trade. I want to own a roofing company. I want to sit in your desk. You should be opening your mouth and telling people what you are trying to do because there's a whole lot of people who want to help you out. There, like people like me, when I run into somebody like that, I get excited. I'm thinking like, what can I do to help this freaking guy? Because you know that's somebody who's of like mind. I know you feel the same way because you've done that. And so you should just be opening your mouth and asking people questions. So if you want financing for a deal, talk to people. I mean, I, I literally, I didn't tell you about this yet. I was doing a job. I did a, horror, a popcorn removal on this job down in Venice. And uh, it was awful. It was a terrible experience. Uh, but it needs to be painted because when I'm done with my job, it needs to be painted. So it looks unfinished, even though I'm done with my part right. of the job. So I called this lady. She's late on her payment. I'm like, where's my money at? You know? And she goes, well, the job's not done. 
you know, it looks all gross and disgusting. And, and so I go through the whole thing and explain to her, like, this is what it looks like. Here are some pictures. This is what it'll look like after you paint and give her the little education. And she became very comfortable with that. And it turns out that this person uh, is with her siblings working on getting uh, her mother's house put together so that they can sell it. So basically, the house I was working on belonged to her mom. Mom passed away. And now the estate is putting it together. And I said, well, just so you know, in addition, in addition <laughs> to doing this drywall stuff, I also buy houses and I do remodels and I understand what you're getting into. This is a lot of work in there. So I'm just putting it out. If you're interested, I'll, I'll be interested in making an offer on your house. And guess what happened Did a you, week later? No way. Yeah. She calls me up and goes, oh, I just talked to my other uh, siblings and they say, well, yeah. We you want know, this thing to go away. Painting the ceiling and doing the kitchen and the bathroom sounds like a pain in the ass and we have to come up with the money and we don't know people here because we live out of state. Would you be interested? I said, <laughs> let me talk to my wife. I'll put an offer together for you and I'll be in touch. So uh, if you open your mouth and just tell people, you will be shocked at what you're able to find. So this is just like a, a side nugget. And both of those things came to practice in, in the creation I've, of this I've first deal. two properties that I can think of. Specific, oh, that third one, if you count the one that I just told you. You just sold, yeah. Where I was there to do a roofing estimate. And oh, I said, really? by the way, I buy real estate. Right. I helped or, or, or was instrumental in your purchase of the duplex on, I think it was 21st Avenue in Bradenton. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I was there to do a roofing estimate. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And the lady was a similar situation. Mm -hmm. They had inherited the property. Right. They lived somewhere up north. Right. And, uh, you know, this was a lot of stuff that they had to try and to figure out how dump. to get done. A lot of work needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And they'd really rather not fool with it. And yeah. I said, well, hey, you know, my son's just recently getting started in the uh, real estate investment right. business. Right. If you'd like, I'll give you his number. And Sure enough, we did the deal and it was... All we had to do was ask. Yeah. And also they came in, I said, what do you want to sell it for? At the time, I think they said like 80000 I said, well, you know, uh, 80000 was actually a pretty good deal. But I yeah. said, I got 60000 I'll write you a check right now. Yeah. And they're like, okay. <laughs> you know? And so that was, that was an awesome right. opportunity. So you just right. have to ask and let people know what you do. And when you combine that with what we were talking about earlier about being presentable and being a square and just like knowing how to speak and being a respectable and a respectful person, people trust you, you know, I mean, you can, you just show them. And, and in my case, if I'm literally working in someone's house, they know I do good work, you know, course, they can yeah. see what I do. Right. So they know I'm not like just talking out of my rear end. Like, That's not only I that though, at stuff. that point, you've already answered their call, provided the estimate. Right. Answered their questions. Yeah. They also know how much money I make in two days. You know what I mean? Because they're they, writing me the check for this. You're actually, you established a schedule and you're following it. Right. right. So you've already established your credibility. I'm a follow through guy. Exactly. And I'm a professional. And I you have credibility right. now at this point right. with these people. And you can do this when you are 19 years old on your first job. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter even what your experience level is. As long you as you can and stuff. do follow through. You have to follow through. Right. Right. Well, you have to be able to follow through. Right. Which, and then which you have again, to follow through. <laughs> but being able to follow through, I think, is largely about having access to the education. Because if you know how to move the parts, you can pretty much make any deal happen pretty much any time. Uh, maybe you'll need the right person. But again, you can find that person by doing exactly what we're talking about. Right. Open your mouth and asking, just asking for things. So anyway, that, that, I don't want to get too much off under the weeds with that, but that is such a critical component. Important thought just popped into my head. And one of the most important components in developing a deal is having an understanding of what 
the other person's end goal is, whatever the case may be. Right, correct. You know, in the cases we were just talking about is, it's a lot of work. It's going to cost a lot I'm of money I'm overwhelmed. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I just want it to go away. Right. In some cases, you know, that's the situation. You may have a situation where, uh, you know, but when I bought that house from Mark, that was his business. Right. At that point, obtaining foreclosures, which is what that house was, uh, was a pretty fluid thing. There was there was a, a, a gl- uh, there. there was a glut of foreclosures, and he knew you know within two more weeks he was going to have another house. Right. In the meantime, he was making five grand off of me. Right, correct. And his original plan was he to could do a bunch have of work and then he make could 10. have waited ninety days or more right. and made ten. Right. But he had a bird in the hand. He had a lot more, yeah, exactly, exactly. and a lot more work. So it's like, you want five for nothing, or do you want ten for a bunch of work? It's, you know, I mean, exactly. in different stages in your life, and you I may used to be, I used to be a guy that would say, I'll, I'm going to do the work and make the ten. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Well, you need the, especially when you need the ten. Well, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, if you need the ten, you need the five just as much. Right. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's that's but exactly. I right. I always had my focus was always on the bigger number. Right. Yeah, I, I, there's some people you're going to come across that that's just how it is. Sure. All right. Well, let's let's start buttoning this thing up because we're we're getting pretty good on our time here. But uh, so tell me, so you're listening to Dave Ramsey. You're thinking about developing your perspective, and now this idea of building wealth and financial freedom and all that stuff starts coming right. together. You're buying. You start buying real estate. You're getting involved in these real estate clubs. You're gaining more education, and now you're pack app, right? Right. You're practical application. You're right. actually doing this stuff. Right. Um, where does it come together and where does like where where do you hit a turning point in your career? Ah <sighs> multifaceted answer. <laughs> uh the first one was after starting to work on the Dave Ramsey program, I was approached by a person that came in and asked me if I had ever heard about mortgage acceleration. And I had no clue what that was all about, and it was a foreign concept to me when it was introduced. Uh, the, the bottom line was pay off your mortgage early. And in this case, with the program this guy was selling, it was way early. Right. You know, like most people have a 30-year mortgage. In my particular case, I think I still had 25 or so years left on my mortgage. And he came in and he, he I, I listened to him, which was, you always want to listen. Just yeah. listen. Right. Education. Get that education. Learn as much as you can learn. He he offered me a proposal where I could have, I could I could more or less stop the Dave Ramsey program and roll it into this mortgage acceleration program because this mortgage acceleration program that he was offering was kind of a consolidation. It wasn't really, but the way it was implemented, it was a consolidation system. Uh, but the bottom line is the bottom line is in seven point three years I was going to have my Car paid off, my boat paid off, my credit card paid off, and my house. So 25 years. Down to 7.3. And I went, okay, that sounds pretty exciting. How much is this going to cost? And he goes, well, he goes, this is the part I hate, but uh, (laughs) it's $3,500. And I went, are you out of your mind? (laughs) For a program? He goes, he goes, he goes, I know it's a lot of money. He goes, not that this is going to make you feel a ton better, but that 7.3, that 3,500 bucks is already in there. <laughs> <laughs> he 
He goes. So he rolled the cost in. Yeah, it's already rolled in there, so it's already calculated in. But let me put it to you from a different perspective. If I were to say to you, Earl, and by the way, when he when he presented that thing that showed the seven point three years, and then he he showed what would happen over the next, let's just say it was a twenty five year term I had originally, so about seventeen and a half years left. Uh, if you take your mortgage payment that you were going to make to the bank for that next 25 years anyway and continue to invest it in the stock market with an average annual rate of return of 6 or 7% or whatever it is for the 25 years that you would have done, you're going to have at the end of 25 years about, I forget what it was, like $175,000 yeah, or yeah. something like that, in cash. Right. That's cash that you would have otherwise given to the bank. Right. Right. He goes, so if I were to say to you today, Earl, if I gave you, uh, if you loan me 3500 bucks today, I'll give you back uh, $125,000 in seven years, would you do it? And I was like, yeah. What do you put my stupid? stupid not to, right? <laughs> right, right yeah. He goes, yeah, anybody would take that deal. He goes, that's, that's exactly what I'm offering you. Yeah. So you took it. And then I went, Let, let's do this. And I went hardcore on this program. At that time, I owed about one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars on the house. Uh, all together in my in my debt nut, you know, if you added okay. it all together, it was right. about one hundred twenty-five thousand right. dollars. This was about two thousand six at this point. Okay. And by the way, at that particular point as well, at that point, I had accumulated five rental properties. Okay. Um, each cash flowing approximately one hundred dollars a month. So I had a Grand total of about 500 bucks a month coming in. That was assuming an air conditioner didn't yeah, blow no, or a no water, water heater blew out. Blow out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had to send out a plumber yeah. or whatever, right. you know, other major expense or had to put a new roof on it or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, in most cases, that was not a concern for me because we put the new roof on at the time we bought it. Right. Because right. I was trying to buy trash. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? well, I mean, you were doing Yeah, I was looking for like low, economy low, deals. low income. Yeah. Good, good deals. deals. I was yeah. trying to buy low and sell high <laughs> so you, without so, the sell part. So you get this program and you're focusing on paying your debt off. And yeah. I remember, I mean, it was like you were on a freaking whirlwind. I was, you know I, mean? I was committed to it. I was going to make this happen. Almost immediately within the first three months of starting the program, I got an unexpected uh, $15,000. From like a job or something. So like I was involved with the roofing business. I had uh, participated in a workers' comp co-op program. And at the year, two years prior, I had 32 employees. So I was paying a freaking butt ton of workers' comp, probably about $300,000 a year in workers' comp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I got this refund check from the co-op for $15,000. Okay. Well, I took that as a bonus to myself, and I paid it 100% towards the program. The program was a computer program, and it's interactive. So it had a lot, a whole lot of what-if things, scenarios. Basically like a calculator. Yeah, right? you, could, you could input this piece of data, and it would tell you what the consequences right, are. Right, And so I said, okay, well, what happens if I put this whole $15,000 in all at once towards this pay-down thing? It cut it down to like three and a half years. So seven It literally three. cut it in half. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it was absolutely <laughs> insane. Yeah. Yeah. Remember a second ago I told you this was 2006. Yes. Well, some folks are going to be old enough to remember what happened in 2008. Some of you may have still been children, but (laughs) (laughs) 
In 2008, the economy crapped out real hard. Yeah, everybody got kicked in the nuts. And yeah. everybody took it on the chin. Yeah. It didn't matter if you were doing the right thing or not, everybody got hurt by it. Um, banks quit lending money. Uh, people that had money lost money. Uh, the stock market crashed. Everything just went to the people crapper. stopped paying <clears throat> rent. People, it was yeah. like I mean, it was people were losing their jobs. Uh, it was a crazy time. Everything was crazy was, time. was horrible. Right. By the way, just as a side note, back to what we were talking about being respectable. If you borrow money, pay it back as agreed or better. What? Yeah. Well, except for student loans, right? No. No, you have to pay no. those too. Yeah. What about your dad? Everybody. So you're saying. If you borrow money and you say, I'm going to pay this back, you, you sh you're supposed to actually pay it back? Pay it back. All of it? All of it. Interest too? Yeah. On the agreed upon terms that you signed on the contract? Yes. You don't say. Interesting idea. Yeah. No. I mean, honestly, like that's this is one of my biggest pet peeves. It's unbelievable <laughs> to me that people have any other perspective. Yeah. I'm like, you douchebag. Yeah. Like that. You agreed to borrow the money. Right. Pay the money back. And not only pay it back, but when you hit a hard time. You do what you got to do gotta to make it do. happen. If you got to flip burgers, come on over to Mackey D's, baby, because it's... You if know, you have to gotta... deliver newspapers in the middle of the night to make sure you continue to pay your bills and stay on the program you've yeah. been working on, you do it. And I did exactly that for an entire year. I delivered newspapers. Rain or shine, didn't matter. Hot or cold. Yeah. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. This is one of my proudest things that I tell people <laughs> about you, Dad. You know, and I like that was in addition to running the roofing business. Yeah, right. That's what I mean. Is that like you're in your late thirties at this point? You own five rental properties. You have a successful. That's forty. You have a successful roofing business. Yeah. Um, you have four children at this point. You, have, you still have a mom who's taking care of all of us. Um, you know, and you delivered newspapers. Because you had to pay your bills. Like, that makes me real proud, too. <laughs> makes me really proud. Yeah, because the roofing business went from the 32 that I had talked about. It had been coming down. You know, by 2006, we were probably down to about 14 or 15. Yeah. But, like, everybody's business got totally yeah. just freaking When 2008 hammered. happened, I, I had three. Yeah. Employees. <laughs> and I was one of them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people people who didn't yeah. live through it don't really don't know. Like, just yeah, you can't understand. It, it, you can't. I, I bought my first house when I graduated high school. I was like, I saved up ten thousand dollars roughly, and I used that ten thousand dollars from Circuit City, and I and from roofing when yeah. I was a kid. But yeah. I saved every dollar I've ever made through my whole high school time. I bought my first house, paid ninety nine thousand dollars for my condo. And that was in 2007, in November of 2007. And then by November of 2008, we had our neighbors with the same exact house were paying $40,000 for their house. I paid my bill, though, for 10 years underwater. Uh, and then I broke even 10 years later. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? But because, again, like you just have to have the self-respect. I, I was not going to not pay that mortgage. There was no freaking way that was going to happen. Like Up until 2008... Everybody was aware that there was a segment of society, a relatively small segment, I would say maybe 3% of people that just didn't really care about their, their word didn't mean anything. Mm. You know, if they committed to paying a bill, they might pay it, they might not. Right. Depends right. on their whim, you know, whether or not there was an opportunity to go on vacation. You yeah. know? 
when 2008 happened, people that had previously been highly respectable people decided that it was in their best interest to just not not honor these commitments. Yes. Yeah. Oh, everybody else was doing it anyway, right? Exactly. That was a big part of the oh, philosophy. Yeah. You know, oh, it was yeah. like, well, everybody else is. They even like, gave it a fancy name. They called it strategic default. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it was. It's like or using bankruptcy or something as a tool in order to not pay your freaking bills. It's like, dude. You know, I, I always used to laugh. I, I get this idea of like, oh, well, there were a bunch of predatory loans, so these people didn't have like, bitch. The, the Bank of America doesn't like lurk in the freaking long grass like a lion <laughs> jumping out to like catch you. Like you know, like you have to go in there and like you beg them for money and then they Prey give it to you. Yeah. You know, like, or anybody else. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter. You know, like, oh, I'm just a blue collar guy. I work with my hands and don't make a lot of money. I'm upside down on my mortgage. Like, piss off, man. Like, I'm sorry that happened. Nobody was happy that this happened. But, like, you have, when you say you're going to do something, you do it. You do the it. bank didn't come so, to you and say, hey, yeah. you want to buy a house? That's what I mean. They're not lurking we in the long grass looking out to, like, to bite your you head off. House. You know, no. you go to them and you stick it's your exactly head right. in their gullet. You know, that's, exactly that's just right. the way it goes. And when you make that agreement, just as a human being, whether the law says it's okay or whether this government program says it's okay, you should have the the integrity to just do it yourself. But So integrity, anyway, so yes. you deliver papers to keep your head above water. But you're still pursuing your program, though, was, right? It was not just to pay my bills, but it was also to stay on track with the program. Right, because you were committed. I you were going to get out of debt. on committed. Right. Yep. And so we ultimately, let's, and again, I don't want to, we, we can't stay here all day long. By 2010, I was 100% debt free. Through the worst freaking recession since the, the worst recession from the Great Depression. Yeah, yep. I mean, like horrendous. Yep. Particularly the, to real estate. And the people. roofing business survived also. Right, right. Because you were. Because I cut everything that needed to be cut fat. and I paid my bills, right. <laughs> all and, of them. Right. And you continue <laughs> to do what it is that you do, which is yeah. to do great work and to treat people right and to, again, operate with integrity because that stuff isn't just for, it's not for the benefit of Bank of America that right. you continue to pay your mortgage. It's for the benefit of your soul, you know, like literally you just have to do the right thing because, because right. of its own sake, because yeah. it's the right thing. We know naturally instinctively we know right from wrong right and well it's wrong to tell you i'm gonna pay you you know if you loan me this money i'll right. pay it back and right. then just don't you say it's natural but this is i think it is a lot natural. of what we're talking about is it a is foreign concept to a lot of people you have to do some serious mental gymnastics to justify not doing what you say you're gonna yeah. do yeah <laughs> i know a lot of real flexible people oh, you I, know, I, who I, can I, get on that balance beam again it, that's a that's a commentary on yeah. society and right. the world today right which and again doesn't like, make it right and it doesn't make it good right. and it's certainly not going to lead to prosperity. One thing that I talk about in this show all the time is that success. I'm assuming the whole focus of this thing is ultimately prosperity. Prosperity, yeah. I mean, if you that's, want to be prosperous, integrity is part of it. Correct, right? And that's that's exactly what I was going to say. Is I talk all the time about building a successful life isn't just about making a bunch of money. You want the fat bank account. You want the lake. You know, like that you can scoop out of, like we talked out of earlier, but. Ultimately, like being a successful person, a fulfilled person, isn't just about like being wealthy and it's not just about financial success. That's a big part of it. But being a decent human being, being a good father and being a good husband and being a good friend and being a, a you know, a good, you know, Christian or whatever your religion is, you know, and just being a good person. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff comes together to create fulfillment. How many people do we know? I mean, you know, you can look around at all the celebrities. You can look at the magazines. All the money in the world. Like, talk about rich, you know. Miserable, 
horrible lies that they that they have, you know, and it's because they have missed this part of the conversation that like being fulfilled means being full-filled, you know, like a full human being. So man, that's yeah. Thanks for teaching me that. <laughs> so okay, so let's talk about let this is where those the sweet spot really start happening. This is where things this get exciting. This is where things change dramatically. Well, first of all, making that last mortgage payment. I can't even tell you how exciting I that bet. is. <laughs> It was the first time in my life that I ever owned a house that didn't include a bank. Right. You know, uh, that said, just so everybody knows, if you don't pay your taxes, you don't own the house anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. government well, will you're take not getting, it you're from you. You're not getting out of underneath they of that. They will take yeah. it from you. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but that mortgage was now history. So now it's 2010. We are the economy is starting to recover. A little bit. There, there are signs of life coming back right. into the economy. Right. And foreclosures were extreme. The, right. the amount of, all due to the strategic defaults. Yes. Not entirely due to that. Obviously, there were some people that tried legitimately and, and just still were make the unsuccessful. Yeah, they lost their jobs or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, there, there's a lot of legitimate reasons right. for people losing right. property, especially during that time. Um, but there was a glut of foreclosure property. And property values were extremely low. Yes. And, and and just so we're clear about why that is, it's because when it's it's simple supply and demand, there were so many houses available for sale and so few people with enough money to buy them that the, the price had to be this as low as they were in order for somebody to bite. Basically it was like dumping, you know, fishing. You know, you put the bait on the hook, you throw it in there. Well, if there's a thousand hooks. Well, that fish can just go and just chomp down on whatever they want. So you got to get a bitter bait. You know, it's like they're going to go for the choice stuff. So that supply and demand just drove the house values down. And for whatever reason, the entire universe was like, buying houses right now is the worst idea. I remember, well, I mean, we had just watched houses well, drop yeah, right. 50%. Everybody who made a lot of money in houses lost a lot of money in houses. Oh, yeah. And so there was a reason for it. But, but guys like you looked around and you went, Ooh, stuff's this on an sale, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So during the economy being crapped out, one of the things we were talking about people not having money is, as I also mentioned, banks were not lending money. Right. You could you could get money, but you had to be solid gold mm -hmm. in order to get credit from a bank. Yep, yep. Uh, a lot of banks just weren't lending at all, period. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a situation that I ran into where I, uh, it was actually buying the office where the business is operated now. And they actually shut off commercial lending during the process of my application after being assured for months. Because again, I was aggressive. I was way ahead of the game. Right. I, this is a slam dunk. This will be no problem whatsoever. I got to the day of closing and they said, sorry, we can't help you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it was tough. literally no reason. Yeah. We just were, we're, we're just not suspending it. commercial lending at this time. Right. Holy crap. So now I had to do some scrambling to get that deal done. Um, oh boy, where was I heading prior to that? So you're, we're at 2010. Oh, the banks weren't lending any money. People lost their jobs. People either Economy didn't have any money. They lost garbage. money if they had it. People that did have money were afraid to spend it because, you know, they didn't know how long they were going to have to right. depend on whatever it is that they already have. Um, deferred maintenance was <laughs> by what I mean by deferred maintenance is people were not taking care of their houses at all. Right. Things that needed to get fixed did not right. get fixed. Right. So that 
was another circumstance that led to the really low home values. values yeah. You know, most of the places that were foreclosures were in very poor condition. Total dumps, yeah. Really Total poor dumps, condition. yeah. So I was uh, able to buy a duplex. I was actually at real estate investors meeting and one of the realtors that was there said, I have this duplex that's coming on the market. Um, it's two bedroom, one bath on both sides. Uh, and we're gonna be putting it in an MLS tomorrow. If anybody here is interested in it, let me know. I met him after the meeting, went and looked at it, told him I wanted it, and I bought it that day. Uh, $34,000 for a duplex. <laughs> Which <laughs> That was generating six fifty dollars a month per unit. Per side. So that's $1,300 for the building. For a $34,000 investment. Right. So $1,350, what's that, like $15,000 a year? Roughly. In like a year and a half, two years, it paid for itself 100%. And you still own it? Oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> That's, so $34,000 a month. Uh, I actually bought it with a partner. I paid seventeen. The other guy paid seventeen. We did some relatively minor repairs. I don't think we even put two or $3,000 yeah. into fixing up. Right. It was mostly paint, fix some doors, doorknobs, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe a ceiling fan or two. Um, got people in there, started collecting rent, and it, that one duplex with a partner was cash flowing more than all five of the properties oh, that I had that. prior to right. the crash, right. which I had good deals on and had been operating and maintaining. Right. I was already doing better on that one deal. So then I, a couple months later, uh, I get a text one night uh, basically the same thing. Got this duplex and it had a picture of it. It was the most hideous looking thing you've ever seen. It was Pepto-Bismol pink and it was peeling off the walls. Roof was caving in. I mean, this place was a dump. Uh, $39,000. Three bedroom, one bath on both sides. Block construction. I went over and I looked at it and I went, man, that is ugly. I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. That one I had to put more money into, but again, I was I was cash flowing. That one I bought by myself. I think it was shortly after that I ended up buying out my partner because he just didn't want to be a part of it. Right, right. Yeah, he just wasn't for him. And I got the bug when that happened because I was like, these duplexes, man, I'm already making $1,000 a month. Right. You know, uh, in, in positive cash flow just off of these two buildings. Right. And I just... I was looking, had my eyes open, uh, talking to my realtor friends, uh, a lot of people that I had roofing relationships right, with, right, right, right. Um, and just letting them know that you know if something comes available, you got to let me know, and I want to buy. And I bought one, I bought two, I bought three, uh, all the way up to thirteen, plus uh, about ten single-family houses all during that time. The last one, I was uh, there to buy or to do a roofing estimate. And I got there and a lady said, uh, and this was a completely conventional deal, nothing to do with a realtor. I was just there to do a roofing estimate. Lady says, yeah, man, I've been living here for 15 years. I still almost owe as much as I did when I bought the place. And uh, now I got to put, you know, whatever it's going to cost to fix the roof and my kitchen's ugly and need new carpet and Ah, the guy next door, he it, this was half a duplex. 
it was uh, what they call a villa mm -hmm. where each one is individually owned. And the guy next door, he just bought that one and he went through and he put the new roof on there and, and remodeled the whole thing, sold it for $125,000. She goes, she goes, man, I'd love to do that, but I don't have the money to do all these repairs. And I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm sick of it. I just want to be out of here. And I said, well, don't do any of it. Just sell it to me. She said, are you serious? I said, sure. <laughs> well, how much will you give me for it? And I was like, well, how much do you owe? She runs in the house and she gets her mortgage statement. She comes out and she goes, I owe $75,000. And I said, based on all the repairs that need to be done here, you know, looking at the whole thing, uh, that's about what I would be able to offer. She goes, seriously, you give me 75,000 for it? I said, yeah. She goes, deal. It's a deal. Yeah. <laughs> this, people don't think that stuff happens. It happens all the damn Unbelievable. time. Unbelievable. And today, she just too. wanted to be gone. This isn't just in 2012 either. Yeah. Like this is like right now. I just, this just happened to me. My buddy just put together a deal that I was giving him some advice on. Again, doing some, he's a demo guy. He went in and basically was like, would you be interested in selling this? And they were like, hell yeah. You know? <laughs> and then he calls me. He's like, what should I offer him? I was like, well, let's, you know, let's look at the, the numbers. And I said, offer him this. And he went to him. They were thrilled. Yeah. They were thrilled. And now yeah. he's got his first deal locked down, you know. Um, so ultimately, you just keep doing this over and over yeah. again. It's two questions real quick. So how many doors do you end up with? How many do you have now? Units. Uh, 38. Okay. So you have 38 doors. So you went from five in 2008. You, you struggle through. You're delivering newspapers. So between 2010, when you pay your last mortgage payment on our house that we grew up in, then now you own 38 units and your own house. In addition to my And house. a much nicer house now. Yeah. Much, much nicer yeah. house. <laughs> and you don't have a mortgage on that. And you don't have a mortgage on a lot of these places. Now, that's that's really incredible. And you're I don't want to get into too much of your business, but you uh, the, the word multi is attached to millions when it comes to what you're doing. And that's, that's so thrilling. But more importantly than that, because that's really just a number. We, we talk about that and laugh all the time. Like, oh, I'm a millionaire. Like, well, that, you know, I'm what a millionaire, but that doesn't mean dick. I have to go to work, you know? <laughs> like, that's, uh, you know. It, what does it mean, what, it is, what, so. what is a millionaire? Yeah, well, I'm, when I say it, I'm talking about net worth. You know, you put the value minus the debt, whatever's left over. If it's a million dollars, you're a millionaire. Well, you know, that's, that's worth, like, the cool title, and that's, that's about it. It's, it's really <laughs> the cash flow, that, that passive income, because would you, would you say you've reached that point? You're living the, more or less the life you want to live based on your investments? Completely, yeah. yeah. I don't work anymore. So that's, that's financial yeah. freedom. So this is the whole story, man. Yeah. I mean, learn, earn, and churn. You did it. You did it for real. And it was um, a slow burn. Yeah. It did not happen right, quickly. Right, right. Now, real quick, I mean, you know, in relationship to the Blue Collar Blueprint, um, one of the strategies for getting to the churn part, obviously you were able to make these deals. You were able to buy these $35,000 duplexes when, I mean, that's a unique opportunity, obviously. It was a unique yeah. point in time. You I didn't have a mortgage today. anymore. I right. was able to save money. Correct. So you, all the money you were earning and your business was starting to do better. It was starting to come back online. Yeah. But you didn't have bills. So it was like you just like threw money I into a pile. I was as as I could possibly yeah. do. And you were being aware <laughs> that like, yeah. hey, I can throw away this money and I can pick up some great deals. Because you knew, you, you probably didn't realize it was going to come to where we are today. Where oh, it's no like clue. 15 times no more clue. than what you bought for it at yeah. the time. Because that $35,000 duplex is probably worth three and a quarter now, 300 
Somewhere in that range. Because you're not buying any duplexes around here for 300 or less. It's just not going to, I mean, it has a right. real dump, you know? Right. Um, so literally 10 times increase. Uh, and that's kind of goes back to your first deal about if you wait long enough, you know, and you can, you can make sure that you're covering your payment. It's mm. not, not the work strategy in right. the world. Cause you're 20 years out from that first deal that you did. Yeah. You'd be almost done with that anyway. So even if you only went that way, uh, then you would have been successful. So your, your business is really what drove your ability in combination with living. And it wasn't like we were living a like particularly lean lifestyle. We were never rich or yeah. anything like that when I was yeah. growing up. We went out to we, pizza we to, at least once a week. We had and, pizza and we went to Bush Gardens and yeah. had fun and, yeah. you know, little stuff like that. But certainly not living like an affluent lifestyle. It wasn't extravagant like no. by any means. Still isn't. Um, but yeah, and it still isn't. That's, and that's yeah. key, you know, is that it's like when you reach this point, you go like, yeah, I mean, I could buy the yacht, but <laughs> you know, like I don't really need a yacht, you know. And so there, there's something to be said about that. But uh, real quick, I want to go through like a handful of questions. We're getting really long on this thing. And I just want to ask you some sort of like rapid fire. So just answer them as quick as you can. Can you make $1,000 a day as a roofer? Yes. How? I think it's unlikely. Okay. Um, something dawned on me when we were talking about getting involved in the trades. Something actually I thought about when you invited me to participate in this to begin with. You don't even have to be a tradesman to get involved in the trades. You can be a sales rep mm -hmm. or a manager mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or a truck driver. There's all this infrastructure all the way yeah. around it. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's right. a lot of other jobs within construction that don't necessarily involve, right. you know, banging nails or, right. you know, any particular Remember story. the rapid fire. Can Sorry. you make $1,000? It can day. be done. Uh, would do I would it? say probably the easiest way to do it. Uh, well, sales rep is... Is the so making commissions on what commissions you're is a great way to do it. Uh, repairs, if you can yeah, get into learning to do repairs and produce them, and if you can get enough volume, right, to do that consistently. But yes, I remember when I was working for you when I was in seventh eighth grade, a repair. It didn't matter how long it took. I think the service call at that time in like two thousand five, two thousand four was what like four hundred and twenty five dollars if I remember. Four fifty right. was our minimum roof minimum repair. Minimum repair, right? And that didn't matter if it took you one hour, or if it took you half a you day, know, half a day like yeah. up to half a day, and then yeah. it went up obviously depending on materials and yeah. things. But I remember thinking like, oh my god, if I made four hundred fifty dollars a week, I'd be rich, you know, like as a as a kid. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's exactly what I thought. So I was thinking, how is he going to say, how do you make a thousand dollars a day? I think you can do an entire business if you can create a strategy where you are a you're a master, right? Like you really have to do a great job. This isn't just like you're going to go start this tomorrow if you've never roofed before. Right. You have to go through the whole process, yeah. the grunt work, the yeah. learning, the mastery. Right. I think you can create a website where you are the repair guy. You offer a good warranty. You guarantee your work. You do excellent job. You do all the stuff we've been talking about. You can make a thousand dollars a day before lunch. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, if you were to, but, market, but you, you have to can. like strategy. You have to do it with strategy. So another investment strategy that you use is not just in real estate, but over the course of your blue collar life, but also building this business that you yeah. were eventually able to sell. And you right. could put it on the market. In this case, obviously, you've got the legacy. Your son is taking care of it and doing different things than you did and operating it differently, but being very successful in that world. Um, and he's got a storied past that we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> on an interview one day uh, to really show like... Pretty much you anybody know, can do it. Pretty much anybody can do it. That guy, by the way, that we were just talking about that found this good deal, the demo guy, he just got out of federal prison oh, like wow. six months ago. Yeah. Wow. And he's out there kicking butt and taking names and good. he's doing it right. You know, I mean, it's, it's, 
It's really awesome. remarkable. Yeah, it's phenomenal, you know? Uh, okay, great. So you can make $1,000 a day. I agree. You could do it as a one-man band. You can do it the way that you did it, which is a relatively small business, like not a huge business. You were really the face of the company uh, for a long time. You gathered assets, you had trucks and tools and all this kind of thing. But really, it was your sales and your method of doing what you did. Um, if you were starting over again, let's say you're 19 years old, okay, and you have no experience in any of this stuff. Your dad wasn't in the business. You don't know what you're doing. You're just watching this podcast for the first time. Tell that guy... If you were starting knowing everything that you know now, what are you going to do? Tell me the story from going from day one real quick and do this in like 30 seconds. Are we talking from, about real estate or are we talking about work? Tell me how to be, how to build a successful life starting as a roofer and then ending where you sit right now. What do you do? Real quick. Good Lord. I know. I know. It's a big, it's a tall order, but give it to me. Just like, give me the, give me the reader's digest. Find a good woman. Marry that woman. If you want to have kids, have kids. Take care of that woman. Be good to that woman in every possible way. Uh, and make sure she's being good to you, too. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that one the hard way, folks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if I were starting today, I would buy a duplex, exactly like what Cole did. To live I, would, in. I would let the guy next door pay the mortgage and I would live more or less rent free. So you're putting your your wife and your kid in that duplex. On one of the duplexes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not ideal, but it's a it's a temporary stepping stone. Couple couple years. Yep. Uh, ideally you can find yourself a single family home within a year or two after that that you can rent that unit that you're currently living in right. and have that rent cover your mortgage on your house. Right. Now you have Two properties. You have a duplex that has an original mortgage on it. You may have a mortgage on here also. Right. Uh, but the guy in that second unit is paying that. Obviously, you're going to continue working. You're going to continue to build and maintain a cash reserve. Right. And just keep doing it. And you just keep, yeah. So <laughs> just keep you're going to gain the education so that now that you've got your own house taken care of, you've mm -hmm. got your bills taken care of because you're working, yep. you're doing all this stuff on the side. Right. The other thing that I like to add in here is that you're not drawing out any money from any of your real estate investments or right. your third-party stuff. You live on what you do when you're at work, right. which even as a grunt worker, right? If you're earning $15 an hour, if you're a hard worker, you're efficient, you're put together, you're going to, first off, if you, and you have you're to get set with the right guy, you're not going to be at 15 for very long. Right. Uh, you can really like advance that. And again, I, this, this is part of the strategy of what this whole show is about, teaching you how to go from like, okay, I'm at $15, I'm doing the slave work, I'm doing the, the misery of learning, but then what do you do next? And then you're going to continue to leverage that up. Would If you were doing it again, would you buy, would you follow the same kind of path? Would you start your own business and do it the Absolutely. way that you did? Yeah. 100% everything. Yeah. You wouldn't be the $1,000 repair guy? So society was different when I started. I hate to say it, but people had more self-respect and, and more of a sense of personal responsibility. Uh, it was a little bit easier, I think, than it is today. It seems to me that the labor pool that's available today is not the same as it was when I started 25 yeah. years yeah. ago. Uh, so yeah, I probably would. I probably would go the repair route. I right. would probably try to, uh, the problem is, is you're not really building it's a, not a business. business. Right. Yeah. You don't have something that you can sell because Correct. it is just you more or less. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So you're, you're not developing an asset. Correct. Although there's an argument to be made that goodwill from the business name yes. has value. Right, right. Uh, and maybe your, your database uh, from your previous customers has value to someone. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, well, if, look, I mean, I'm in, I'm doing this right now, right? right? I mean, the business that I run is a one man band. Yeah. It's a, it's a family affair. We've got other one man bands that are all operating under the umbrella, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's to me, the benefit is like right now, this, we're talking on a Thursday afternoon. I don't have to be right. like, this is what I'm doing for work right now. Right. And then when we're done, I'm going to go and start banging out some baseboards. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, like I've explained on the show before, I spend the first couple of days a week working and I pay my bills and I take care of my family. I pay my mortgage at home. My investment stuff is happening on the other three days a week. I'm here, I'm remodeling, I'm managing property, I'm looking for the next deals, I'm going to the real estate meetings, I'm taking the classes, I'm doing all of that stuff in conjunction with with each other. So I see value in that too. But like you say, when I'm, I'm not going to be able to give this to my son someday, you know, or, or sell it to him. Yeah. Um, and so there is, you know, there's consideration to take into that. And especially with roofing, you know, roofing is a hard gig. Uh, out in the sun, you're not going to be able to do that for so long. So you really need to make sure you've got a strategy for getting out of the sun well, that's another... and like, you know, building your, your cash, right. you know, your passive income right. such that you're not doing Now there's that. no reason that you can't have a business and all of your employees are repair people. Yeah, correct. Right. Yeah. Now that would be a legitimate business. Yes. Absolutely. But if you're going to try to be a self-contained. Right. A one man band. Yeah. One man band. Right. Then again, that's yeah. not really building a business. Right. Right. And it's, again, this is all strategy. It's the stuff that can change too. Cause if I decided tomorrow, like I'm going to start a drywall business, I'm, I can, you know, I can start hiring people and doing, I can change that right now. So it's not like you don't have the capacity to right, do it. Right. You can always change your strategy. You have always said to me, just do stuff. You know, the time is going to pass anyway. That was like one of the sayings I remember you saying the most. The time is going to pass any time. You're going to look back and you either have done something or you're going to have not done it. It's better to have done And you're going to wish you had. Correct. Yeah. And I, <laughs> Man, and I can speak if I would have you know? only done this back right. then. Correct. Yeah. What, what's the best if I had only done this that you can think of in your life? The, buy real estate sooner. Yeah. Um, mom more or less held me back on that because she was, she was very... Scared. Ultra conservative, yeah. financially, right, and in every other way, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and in every other way, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one thing that you said, the first thing I asked you was if you were starting from scratch. The first thing you talked about is having a family, mm-hmm. marry a good woman, then have children. I, I, the only thing I would amend is I don't care whether you want kids or not. I think you should have them. <laughs> you know, I think you should. If you're not the kind of person who wants kids, I think you should be doing some self searching to figure out why that is and then correct it. Because if you're that is what it's it is. easy for me because anyway. I always want to keep Yeah, me so. too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, that, that would be my position. But the point that I was going to make is that when you have kids, when you have a wife that is relying on you, whether she's working or not is sort of an irrelevant thing, but when you have a, a, a responsibilities above and beyond yourself, uh, that's like a great motivator to figure out how to do stuff. And like, I've always been very skeptical of this idea because you used to say this to me and be like, I don't know if I make enough money to have, you know, when I was a school teacher, I wasn't making dick. And you know, it was like, I didn't know if I had enough money to have kids. And you were like, just do it. Like you will figure it out. And I was like, that sounds very woo woo. It is so true. It is so true. The second you start, you have, you have a little mouth to feed. There's a great saying, which is that every child is born with a, a loaf of bread in its mouth. You know, and it's not, doesn't happen there magically, but there is something that happens into a man when he has a wife at home and a little a baby man. to feed a good one. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, an actual man, not, not 
a person with a wiener. You know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about like a real man. Um, an actual wiener, by the way, not one that's otherwise constructed by... <laughs> Uh, that went off the rails. Yeah, well, yeah, listen, I, I, we're, we're getting to the end. i got to start wrapping this thing up. But the point is, it's a great motivator. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's, it's so critical to living a fulfilling, fulfilling and successful life. And I so understand the feeling of, I don't make enough money. I'm afraid to have kids um, because they're expensive little boogers. But trust me, it's such a great motivator. And I think that's an, it's, it's a critical component of anybody's success story. Don't wait until you're successful to go have a family don't do all that stuff. I, I regret that. It took I'll do me it when I can thing. afford it. You're never going to get there. <laughs> do it. You'll figure out how to yeah, afford it. Yeah, you will it. figure it out. Yeah. Um, one of the things that came into my mind uh, when you were talking about the family is, uh, I believe it's Napoleon Hill, uh, the millionaire next door. Think that... and Grow Rich is Napoleon Hill. Okay. Who was, who was the millionaire next door? I don't know. But anyway, the millionaire <laughs> next door. One of the things that they talk about is uh, married stay married, <laughs> uh, have a business, right. uh, and, and live within your means. Right, right. The rest the, of it comes naturally. Millionaire Next Door is a great book. You can get One it on the audio. Best. You can get it on, uh, obviously, in hardcover, paperback, or wherever. You should read it. it. It basically profiles what actual, real millionaires look like in America. Yeah. It's called The Millionaire Next Door because the idea is that guys like you and I who are like like appear to live like everybody else a lot of times you can i do be, live like everybody else. you can be set apart you know i mean your 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 financial state is probably significantly different than most of your neighbors um i know a couple of them are also like yeah. pretty pretty motivated too but <laughs> uh the point is is that like regular people who you would just drive by their house and think like oh that that's a nice middle class guy that guy may be living like an extraordinary life you have no idea well, from a financial standpoint in my roofing business i met a retired neurosurgeon who was living in a condo that was owned by his kids that needed a new roof and they couldn't afford to do it. A neurosurgeon. And this guy told me flat out, he said, I have made phenomenal amounts of money when I was working. And I spent all of it. Yeah. Because I had to keep up the image. I had to have the million dollar house and I had to have the, the newest sports car and we had to eat at the finest restaurants and we had to go on the fanciest vacations and I had to have the biggest boat in the neighborhood and mm -hmm. on and on and on and on. All these things that people associate with being a millionaire yeah. uh, has, I mean, we talked millionaire in our definition is net worth. A net worth is useless if it doesn't generate cash flow. Correct. And that's what this guy didn't have. By everybody else's definition, he was a millionaire, but he wasn't. He was literally financially worthless. Yeah, correct. This guy was probably making a half a million dollars a year in the 90s or in the 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 A neurosurgeon. I mean, them guys are well paid. He spent all of it and, and didn't invest anything that would pay him back. Right. So when he got to the end of the game where he was either unable or unwilling to work anymore, basically he had Broke. a Social Security check. Yeah, yeah. Scary <laughs> stuff. Yeah. In case you don't know, Social Security doesn't go very far. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Well, Pop, uh, are there any last final sayings? Anything else that we missed? We've been talking for two hours. About the only other one that I can think of is um, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Great book. Great book. Great podcast, too. Yeah, he he's uh, that that book changed the way that I think about 
about uh, finances. Uh, okay, great. I mean, any other pieces of advice? You, any met, words you of mentioned uh, Bigger Pockets mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Excellent material. Yes. Lots of good stuff. Yes. Lots of uh, real people stories. Right. Uh, what right. they're doing, how they got there. Uh, get down simple the things details. like what yeah. I did. Uh, and I don't want to come across as, as being a proud or arrogant because a lot of what happened to me was... I mean, I was I was doing the right things. I was focused on the right things. I put myself in the right places for these things to happen. Right. But a lot of it was luck. I mean, it, it was circumstantial. We had a market that maybe, you know, once in a century right. circumstance that they other crash. people won't have that same right. opportunity. Right. But there will be other opportunities, opportunities yes. to invest. Maybe the next time the stock market crashes out really big, Right. Yeah, but get or, in a or the next low. time that an Airbnb pops on, you know, like something like disruptive like that happens, if you can identify it and you can jump on board to it, you know, I mean, you can. There, there oh, you mean a, a new all, opportunity? A new opportunity like yeah. how Airbnb came on the on the market right. five or six years ago. It's like right. it's revolutionized people's businesses and the people. And I who did were not get on enough. that board because right. I was intimidated by it. Right. Correct. Yeah. I didn't understand it. <laughs> and, and just like people were intimidated about buying these thirty thousand dollar duplexes when you were doing it, you have to identify it. You have to be wise, and you just you got to be out there getting yeah. the education and do stuff. Ultimately, yeah. that's what it's about: do stuff. Set your life up, yeah. learn, earn, and churn, do yep. your thing. So. so back to the point of the uh, the neurosurgeon guy is don't be fooled by the guy with the big house and the fancy right. car and eating right. at the nice restaurant wearing overpriced suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That guy, he might look rich, but he's not. Yeah, nothing wrong with blue collar every now and again. So anyway, Pop, I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for talking with me. I love you. Thanks, for I love stuff. you too, buddy. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation and got a lot out of it. Now, we covered a lot of ground. We touched on some huge stuff, some great points. And I hope you're able to take some of what you heard here today and apply it to your life and to your blue-collar journey. Now, if you feel like you even got one tasty little morsel of value in anything that you heard today, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Click like, click subscribe on Spotify or YouTube or iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a five-star review because I need your help to get this thing on its feet. And those reviews, those subscriptions are critical to keeping this podcast alive. And I'm telling you guys, those few little moments from you, the couple little clicks of your mouse will contribute to keeping this podcast on the air in a huge way. You can also feel free to check us out on social media, which you can find pretty much anywhere at Blue Collar Blueprint or by visiting us on the web at www.bluecollarblueprint.com. And it's over there where you can ask questions in the mailbag or you can read the blog or even suggest guests for the show. So let's get together. Let's connect. Let's build a community and let's get to work. So with all that, we'll leave you there for today. I'll see you next time. Semper Fix. (laughs) 